get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. I had a source tell me yesterday... He said, look, this is going to be a terrible week. This is going to be the pessimistic week. This is going to be the week that a lot of people say there's no way they're going to play this year. And then he said, they're going to play this year as long as we get through this week. So that's, again, why this week is so important. And I think cooler heads are going to eventually prevail because they have to. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Tim Kirkchen on ESPN yesterday. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie, yesterday was pessimistic day for your guy BK. It's over. That's it? That's over. We're shifting it's gears? Over. All right. All I needed was to hear Tim Kirchin say, this is how you should be feeling right now, but it's going to be okay. I needed my uncle to sit me down and say, <laughs> I've been through this. I understand what you're about to go through, and here's why you shouldn't be afraid. And then I read a piece by Jeff Passan, which made me even more optimistic. He put it very plainly. Here's what happens if the players don't agree to this. They don't get paid beyond their lump sum that they already agreed to in March. They lose a year of playing time. The free agent market dries up after the season because there's no money to spread around. The MLBPA may ultimately dip into the savings reserve for an emergency that they might end up needing next year whenever they have potentially a lockout if they can't agree to something for the CBA beyond next season. And oh, by the way, agents who are incentivized to get their players back to work because they then don't receive commissions if their players don't get paid. That's the player side of things. Jeff Passan continued. Now here's the owner side of things. Their revenue shriveled to almost nothing. There are mass firings and furloughs taking place all across Major League Baseball. There's likely multiple bankruptcies among these ownership groups. The franchise values, which have skyrocketed in recent years, will now plummet because recovery from the financial hole created by a lost 2020 season could ultimately take years for them. And some of them may ultimately have to sell their franchises. You put multiple up for auctions, those values decrease because of the supply versus the demand. There's a lot to be lost on both sides. And Jamie, at the end of the day, when you look at this, and you look at what the players could lose, look at what the owners could lose. They, are, There's no way they're not going to play this season because of what's on the line for both of them. Yeah, I agree. And this is a great breakdown uh, by Jeff Passan. He said, wrote this, Passen, our boy yep. Jeff Passan. Uh, it does. It goes right into detail, and it shows you just what's at, what's at stake for both the players and the owners. Look, I don't think... I don't think we're not going to have baseball. I think that, uh, you know, per our conversation yesterday, 
I think both sides are kind of strategizing, the owners with the owners' offer, and then the players talking about, well, you know, that's the first step to a salary cap, and that's just non-negotiable. I think that these items that you're talking about right now, that's going to come up in conversation over the next couple days, and I think everybody's going to see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel uh, on both sides, and I, I do think that this will come together uh, how long that takes, I don't know. But I do think the players realize they got to get back on the field. And the owners, for sure, realize that they have to get the players back on the field for their sake, too. So, Jamie, you're a married man. Yes, sir. I'm sure you've had a couple of arguments with your wife. No, no. Every day. <laughs> Not arguments, discussions. I like to debate. You sure, know. sure. Yeah, I remember the, the top shelf debate, right? You, yeah, top chef. I mean, uh, restaurant wars caused a big rift in the Rivers house. I ended up in my son's bed that night because uh, actually me and the puppy got kicked out of the room because sure. we we're both male. So the reason why I bring this up is because there are consequences for our actions. And there are certain times when you know this is the fight that I'm willing to pick. This is the fight that if I if I pick it, it's a small consequence. I got I to gotta sleep in another bed for a night, all yeah. these different things. Got a good sleep, too. There are other fights that aren't worth picking because the consequences are simply too great. There's going to be a fight that comes up between me and my girlfriend at some point where it's just worth me saying, you know what? You're right. I lose. I'm going to take the L on this one. Why? Because it's not worth it. Because if I continue going down that path, the consequences are going to be so great that I'm going to end up regretting it down the road. This is how I feel about Major League Baseball and Nash the National Hockey League and the NBA. The consequences of them not returning to play are so great that it's just not worth picking that fight. Is it going to be difficult for Major League Baseball players to agree to a 50-50 revenue split? 100%. And so the owners are going to have to give something else up if that's something they're not willing to give on. There's going to be stuff that they're not willing to give up. But at the end of the day, because of the consequences, as I said, just read them off from Jeff Basson's piece, that's what's going to cause this to ultimately get done at the end of the day. Just like it does for you with your wife, Jamie. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great job pulling it all together, by the way. Um, but yeah, you know, baseball is in a unique and crappy situation amongst all the sports. NFL, we've talked about that. They still have some runway. They still have some time to figure out what's going to happen. And other things just worldwide will start to figure itself out too baseball has money implications guys are missing paychecks right now hockey paychecks are done for those guys the playoff revenues are huge when it comes to establishing the salary cap whether keeping it in one area and trying not to have the salary cap go down and players escrows go up all that stuff but baseball itself is in a unique situation because right now they're supposed to be playing a regular season, not playoffs, a regular season and getting paychecks every week or every other week, however they do it in baseball. And the owners, they're used to cashing checks too on the revenue side of uh, whatever it's TV deals, the fans, the attendance. Now, I know the fans are down the road, but because these guys are in this unique situation and they're losing the most right now on a daily basis, I think baseball figures this out. So yesterday we talked with Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider. And you asked him a simple question about, you know, what about all of these different things that are going to have to take place on the ice for us to even get this down the road? 
Here's what Jeremy Rutherford had to say. I've been thinking about it now for 24 hours. Oh I have a little bit of a take on it on the other side. I mean, what is this going to be like, Schnooks, where there's a plexiglass between the coaches and the assistant coaches? I, I mean, I understand that they're out $1.2 billion if they don't play. I understand they want to give out the, the Stanley Cup. But, you know, these, team, these teams and players have so much at stake. But to me, if you get down to that sort of nitty-gritty and think that you're going to prevent the spread of the disease you know by taking 72 different measures i just don't understand uh, the point in playing i agree with him if you have to do all of that it's not worth playing but here's what i would add to that jamie i don't think you have to do all of those things i don't think you would have to do all of those things today because if you were to go back, if we are allowing them to play sports, right? If we're allowing a hockey team to take the ice, ultimately, you got to go into the locker room to be able to get dressed. How are you going to social distance in there? You got guys that are right next to each other. They're right on top of each other. They're all going to the same restrooms, all of these different things, right? If you're going to be sitting on the bench together, well, you're not six feet apart there. So how are you social distancing in that respect? The stuff that we're talking about is all stuff that is just for appearance. It's for you and me. It's for the listeners that are watching the games on television. It's just to make it look good. It ain't gonna look good. I'm gonna be the first one to tell you. When Jaden Schwartz hits a game-winning goal in game three of the first round of the playoffs, he's gonna celebrate with his teammates because that's his instinct. If you see Vladimir Tarasenko return and he's the first goal of the postseason and it's his first one since coming back from injury, he's going to celebrate with his teammates. All of this other stuff, this nonsense, is for appearance. And so if it takes that to come back, we're not going to have sports. It's really that simple to me. Yeah, look, I, I, I do agree with almost everything you said there. And I'm not even debating anything. All I'm going to add to it is... I think that much like baseball has done since the beginning of all this and, and some of the other leagues too, they're throwing out these ideas to gauge the temperature, sure. right? So they, they're doing this on purpose. So you go home, I go home, Ferrari goes home, and we think about it and we talk about it on the air. And that you, then you get a general idea of what the media thinks and what the fans think. And you don't think they have people that are trolling the Internet, looking for comments on all these things. Of course they do. And then they go back to the table uh, two weeks from now and go, okay, these are really bad ideas. People think that they're absolutely out of this world stupid. So we're going to gas these three. But people were kind of receptive to this one here. Maybe we build a new little list and let's put it out there. And now we gauge the temperature of that. You know, that, that to me is what the NHL is trying to do right now. And I'll say this, BK, to your point. I, I think the concern is more from the other team than their own teammates because I would imagine, and this is still up in the air, but your team is going to all be tested before you get back on the ice together. So you're going to be flying together. You're going to be in rooms together. That's not the concern. It's the other team of who they were around, where they came from. They're also going to have to be tested, though. Right. right. Like but it, they are, but it's another unknown variable, right? Who were like, they around outside of yeah. the rink? Who were they talking to? Their family? Are they? I think that's the concern when they're engaged with each other by the net, which is why they talked about, you know, making the whistles, making sure there's no scrums, so you don't have two opposite teams going head-to-head -head with there's each other. There's going to be four-checking. Like, you can't play hockey without Listen, having some of this stuff, you're you are know? right. Hockey and the contact sports, and I always throw basketball in there because they are in such close proximity yeah. under the hoop. So listen, hockey is going to have to be 
play a normal rules. You're going to have to be that way. And you know what? This is why ultimately I I go back to the hub idea for hockey because now you have control of all these teams in one area. Right. And, and I do, I'm not a fan right now, uh, and I know this sounds brutal, I'm not a fan of every team being in their home city because I think you're adding so many different things into the pot that could boil over for you. Where if you have these players quarantined, as much as I know they don't want to be away from their families and it's inconvenient, at least then if you have six to eight teams tested and they're all in the same proximity, you know that the the likelihood of something coming in from the outside is smaller. But hey, you know what? These people are a lot smarter than I am. I get reminded of that every day on the text line. <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is 11:13. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at noon, we will talk to Chris Kerber about what he expects the return of the NHL to look like. Danny Mack will be on with us coming up at 12.30. And I'm very excited to talk to Darren Drager, one of the lead NHL insiders in all of the world. He's going to join us coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, no, there should not be an asterisk next to any 2020 titles, no matter the sport, no matter the setup. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Shaquille O'Neal thinks there should be an asterisk attached to whichever team wins the NBA championship this year if we are all fortunate enough to see one and as a result thinks we should just scrap the season. Lots of people seem to agree with that. To those people, I ask the following questions. How many titles did Tim Duncan win in his NBA career? How about Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard? You know the answers because these numbers are ingrained in our brains. Duncan won five. Not four, because the first one came in 1999 in a 50-game season. He won five. LeBron won three. Not two, because Draymond Green got right. suspended in the finals and allowed the Cavaliers a comeback that otherwise seemed impossible. He's got three rings. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Mike Greenberg on Get Up earlier this morning. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show at any point. So, Greeny brings up a point that I wanted to discuss today. Because I've been hearing this time and time and time again. I think it might be a little bit of a straw man, but now Shaq actually put his name on it. Basically saying something to the degree of, hey, if you win a title this year, there should be an asterisk next to it. Because you won it when you didn't actually play the full regular season. You didn't play under typical circumstances. You had this time off, so on and so forth. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The notion that that is the case makes no sense to me, Jamie, because... I've heard Joey Vitale make this argument before, and I tend to agree with it. You can actually make the argument that it is going to be more difficult to win this year, given the layoff, given what we've been experiencing over the last few months, the way that these guys have had to train in recent weeks. I don't understand how anybody with their right mind can honestly say, if you win a title this year, it should come with an asterisk. It makes no sense to me, Jamie. Yeah, I agree. Here, Here's a situation where... If a team wins, if a team, let's say, didn't have to play as many games as another team in the league or had special circumstances uh, that are different from another team in the league, that's when you have an asterisk. That's when you get it because now you have something unique and different to your situation, not when everybody's going through the same thing. That's why the lockout years, the strike years, whatever sport you're talking about, that's why they don't do that there, because every team is in the same boat on this. That's why the, the, the thought of having an asterisk next to their 
their championship time. It's just ridiculous. It, 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 if one team had special circumstances, 100%, but th- that's not the case. They're all battling this together. Uh, and I get when you hear Shaq say that, you think, oh, well, this is a Hall of Famer. How do you disagree with that? But look, <laughs> you got to listen to the guys who are playing the game. Darren Dreger, who you said is joining us at 1 o'clock today, he had a conversation with Sidney Crosby yesterday, and Crosby said, look, there's tradition that goes with winning the Stanley Cup. But you're in an uncertain time. It's not like you're being forced to play a different thing. This is what has happened, so you have to accept it. But then you go to the superstars in the NBA voicing their opinion. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis from uh, from Milwaukee. They've all stated. Yeah, he skipped his yeah, last no, name. No, I'm skipping there. his last name. <laughs> I always do, too. Giannis, oh, boy, oh, boy. I can Ante, see it in his eyes. Ante yeah. Ante it's Ante, Ante Takupo. Ante Takupo. Yeah, so yeah, no the, chance of me the, ever trying that. The Takupo <laughs> was the part that gets me. But they voiced it saying it's unfair to the players in the NBA to just say, well, we're just not going to crown a champion. Because what do you think Kawhi Leonard's sitting there thinking? Well, I could have been champion. LeBron James, you have to let these things play out Mm -hmm. regardless if you're going to put an asterisk next to it. That's an opinion. But these guys have to find out who's the deserving champion. I will say this. another reason I should fight Shaq. (laughs) Jerk with that kind of I'm on board with that. I can't believe we've arrived here again. Sure. Well, look it. What a donkey. Do it. Come find me in the parking lot, Shaq. Andy called him a donkey. Let's see it. Let's go, baby. The one thing that I can understand, I'm going to power through what Jamie just did there, trying to derail this thing. I'm not derailing it. The one thing that I can understand is somebody who would say something to the effect of, yeah, well, LeBron James tested positive in the postseason. He was out for two weeks, and that's ultimately why the Lakers lost. I get that. That's going to be tough. There was also always the potential that LeBron James could have gotten hurt or he had a terrible flu and he had to miss a couple of games as a result Jordan of that. Jordan would have played through it. Oh, I knew that was coming. Did, right as he? I said he it. Did. Right play, as I said it, game? I knew that was coming. He was hungover. <laughs> that wasn't even the flu. Hey, that's kind Whoa. of a flu. Trust me. And, <laughs> hey, playing through one today, right? Uh, anyway, no kidding. that is something that these teams very well may have to overcome. It's possible that in the postseason, the Blues are going to play an opponent or the Blues themselves will play a game without one of their players because they tested positive that's possible that's just going to be the reality of this postseason it's going to make it different it's going to make it frustrating for certain fan bases it's going to make it more difficult but this is adversity what do your coaches always tell you in little league i'm sure your coaches told you this in the nhl jamie i don't have that personal experience you're great No, that never happened. Yeah, that didn't we have evidence of that from yesterday, right? Uh, yeah, you got exactly. to find a way to overcome adversity, and that's no different in this postseason. Jamie, go ahead and take it away. All right, so if LeBron James tests positive and the Lakers don't win the championship because LeBron James tests positive, again, to my point a couple minutes ago, everybody's at risk. Everybody's in the same boat. Every team has a star player or their best player. Now, LeBron's a unique specimen because he obviously brings a lot to the table for the Lakers, but Kawhi Leonard brings a lot to the Clippers and Steph Curry and so on and so on here. If one of those guys tests positive, just like if they twisted an ankle or, you know, something like that, it's the same thing. Everybody's dealing with this together. So to me, it is what it is. If you get, if you win the championship, you darn well deserve it. And I think to Joey Vitale's point a couple weeks ago, I think you should actually be looked at as maybe a greater champion because you have battled all this crap that's going on. NHL alone, you've had to pause your season for like two months, Mm -hmm. not even be on skates, get back out there, get back into whatever uniqueness is going to be around them. To me, if you're the champion and it's done the right way and everybody's the same as far as the rules go, 
that that deserves praise. Here's the other factor in this too. This never happens in playoffs where you have a fully healthy roster for every team that's going to be competing for that championship. Like that in itself is a major hurdle for some teams going into it. Like first of all, you're taking on the Blues, the Stanley Cup champions, regardless. But then you have a healthy roster with a returning Tarasenko. That's a hurdle that every team is going to sit there and say, "There's no asterisks due to that. We had to overcome this." He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and. BK on 101 ESPN. So I was listening to Danny Mac earlier today. You can hear him now weekdays from 10 to 11 right here on 101 ESPN. And he had Cardinals manager Mike Schilt on the show. And Schilty said something during that interview that I thought is an example of how he's going to give the Cardinals an advantage this season because of the different rules. Listen to this from Mike Schilt. And now you're looking at a few more doubleheaders to get that done a few less days off. Now you're looking at probably a... Um, I wouldn't say a piggyback situation, but a you know, sort of a five-man rotation, a six-man rotation type thing, uh, depending on what the schedule looks like. And see, I think we're going to look, and I can't say this for sure, but my guess is there'll be an additional roster spots, maybe just primarily for pitchers and maybe a couple of pitchers on the beginning active roster when the season starts. So that doesn't sound like much, but what he said there in passing of the six-man rotation, that's what really kind of jumped to the front of my mind immediately. And so I said, oh, Schilt's open-minded to what this season is going to have to look like. It's going to be different. There are going to be different tactics that he has to use. Your starting pitcher, especially early on, likely will not be able to go as long as you would typically expect. Maybe Jack Flaherty, instead of going seven innings, is going four innings. Instead of having, whether it be 12, 13 pitchers on any given day that you can use, probably seven out of the bullpen, maybe you have 10 to 12 guys that can come out of the bullpen on any given day. You're going to have different assets at your disposal if you're Mike Schilt. There's a lot of managers that are just going to manage the same way they would have previously because they're creatures of habit, they are stuck in their ways, and they're just going to push forward the way that they would have if it was a regular season. Schilt's not that guy, and I think it is going to give the Cardinals a legitimate advantage this season if and when they do return to play. So here's what I think about all this, and being a baseball expert myself, um, Mike Schilt, to me, from the outside looking in, he's a guy that lives and breathes baseball. Danny Mack talks about it. You know, we talked, I don't, can't remember if it was on air or off the air, but he just said, man, this guy's a baseball lifer. Like, he just loves the game. That's going to be an advantage, like you just talked about, because already Schilty's thinking about scenarios. He's probably, he even talked about watching Korean baseball and, like, simulating managing the game as one of those guys because he wants to stay sharp, you know? So that's, uh, never mind the players that he has available or the depth that they have at pitching and things like that. Mike Schilt alone and the way he thinks the game and the way he creates these scenarios in his head and tries to solve these problems, that's going to be an advantage. And there's a lot of managers, let's be honest, they're lazy managers. They're managing and reacting to situations rather than having a plan in place for what's going to happen next. And that's why guys like Belichick in the NFL and other great coaches, Andy Reid and so on and so on, They've already had every scenario play out in their head, and they're ready for it. They have something to match it. Mike Schilt, to me, seems like that kind of guy that if you present him with something, he's already got some kind of a strategy ready for it. Well, and throw in the fact that Mike Maddox already knows how to work with a pitching cast and then, of course, with the bullpen. But I specifically remember having conversations with Steve Selby, a broadcaster for the Memphis Redbirds, and he said, I don't think there's a manager in AAA when Schilt was there that knows how to utilize a bullpen and motivate pitchers 
better than what Mike Schilt does. And to me, in AAA, now I understand it's a different league when you get to the majors, but if you know how to do that with young pitchers, imagine doing that with experienced guys mm -hmm. who have the will in the drive. There's a quote out there, tell me the rules and I'll play the game. And Mike Schilt's the type of guy that if you tell him the rules, he'll figure out the best way to play the game. And that's what he's going to do this year. He's going to use the rules to his advantage. If he's got a DH, he's going to utilize that DH to get Dexter Fowler a day off in the field, to get Matt Carpenter out of the field and into the lineup every day. He's going to make sure that he's got Tommy Edmond out there as much as possible. Dylan Carlson's going to get more opportunities as a result. Maybe Tyler O'Neill if he's hot, but he's not playing great in the field whatever reason on any given day maybe he ends up moving to the dh that's going to be something that he utilizes he's going to utilize his pitching staff to the best of their potential that's what you're getting with him i'm not going to go with mike matheny was a lazy manager to kind of borrow off of something that you said i don't think he was a lazy manager but i don't think that mike matheny would have been able to utilize his roster to its fullest potential with these rules i do think mike schilt is going to be able to do that he's jamie rivers i'm brandon kiley it's ribs and bk on 101 espn we're going to play a game of in or out next, right after the Rams just announced their new their new uh, jerseys. I want to get Jamie's reaction to those live next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. You heard it. It's very easy. Very easy again. It's called in or out. Are you in or are you out on something that's in the news right now? The first thing that I want to get into a reaction from you on, Jamie, is the Rams' new uniforms. Okay. Now, I, I gave you the link. I'm going to allow you to look at those now. You haven't seen these yet. I have not seen these yet. And the I'm... Rams announced today they're brand-new jerseys, and they're awful. I mean, truly spectacularly awful. You're looking at them right now for the first time. Jamie, are you in or are you out? I'm so far out. It's not even funny. What is going on? Look, did they let somebody loose with some puff paint? Was this like kindergartner's day finger painting? So to describe these for oh the audience God, a little bit. That's bad. The white jerseys, instead of actually being white or almost like a cream, it looks like they just went into the dirt for a day. They look dirty. Rolled all around with the pigs. And oh, tried to wash them, but didn't use any, like, laundry detergent. So it just kind of mixed it up, and now they're just soiled white-ish brown. That's what the white jerseys look like. And then the, it, it really does. You're right, Jamie. It looks like there's a finger painting for the yeah. numbers. And there's this patch on the side next to the heart that says Los Angeles Rams. But it, it looks like it's just, like, stickied on there. It's got like a heartbeat written thing on it, too. Do you see that thing? It's like if yeah, you're looking at like a, a heart monitor. Stitching. Like a little, and like, why? It looks like my grandma, who, God bless her, not a great sewer, decided to just like go back and forth. And that was her way to fix the, the stitched up okay. jersey. So here's where, sorry, Ferrari, I got to get this out because my brain is hurting as I look at these things right <laughs> now. It's almost like they realized the lack of effort they put into the logo where they literally stole it from what was that angelo state oh yeah okay they literally stole the logo from somebody else and now it's like they're overdoing it on things on the jersey to act like oh yeah but we're really creative and we're working hard here 
It looks like a fifth grader did it in Photoshop class. Yeah, it's bad. It's, it's, it's really like it looks exactly like what they used last year. Did you play high school for not high school, little league football yeah. for Ariel? So you know how you always had that team where they had the dad that was a little too yeah. into it, and he would go a little too far with the jerseys and just try a little too hard. Oh yeah, that's what these are. He went to the local print shop and was like, "I have an idea. It's on a piece of paper for you here." I've got a napkin as well with kind of a concepts yep. design. Yeah. I want you to make these for me. And that's what the Rams did as a professional football team. This isn't hard. Just go back to the old L.A. Rams uniforms, the, one that, the ones that they were wearing last year. They're so great. They're so classic. Now, They're great. Have you seen the helmet design? The helmets are awesome. The helmet's good. But really, if we look at it again, okay, let's talk about effort for a second. <laughs> There's no effort. It's the Rams helmet they've had since their inception. Right. Honestly, I'm fine with it, though. At least they didn't screw I know, that but one up. Come on. Like, I, they stole the logo from a college or one of those community colleges or something like that, and now they're, they're going back to the original ram on the side of the helmet, the ram horns with their little twist on it. There's no effort on this at all, guys. We're playing in and out on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Next one up for you, Jamie. Matt Carpenter as the Cardinals' designated hitter because I was going through yesterday and reading the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Rick Hummel. Very valued re resource for all of us as we're kind of learning about the Cardinals here in this offseason. Said he thinks that the designated hitter could be Ron Hell Ravello. Some dude that was in AAA last year that apparently has a lot of pop. I don't know a whole lot about the gentleman. I'm going to be honest with you. If the Cardinals have a DH this year, are you in on Ron Hell Ravello being their designated hitter, Jamie Rivers? Um, the simple fact that I wouldn't even try to say his name and I have no idea who he is, I'm going to have to say I'm out. Uh, I do like Matt Carpenter as an option. I also like Tyler O'Neill, you know, because he may not play every game in the field yep. either. And Tommy Edmond, if Carpenter's in at third, I like Edmond in the lineup as a DH. You know, the guy puts the ball in play and he hustles. So, yeah, I'm I'm way out on uh, Ravello. I, I, I'm in on it because I was only a short sample size of seeing Ravello last year, and this guy does have pop. But I also think it can be a, a, a committee DH style because, look, if Tommy Edmonds your DH, then Carpenter's your third baseman. Yeah. I think I'd rather flip that and have Carpenter at third, or I'm sorry, Edmund at third. Yeah. But you also can have Goldschmidt as a DH and let Ravello play first base because he was Ooh. a strong defensive unit and the minors there. But, yeah. I mean, but that's the minors, Ferrari. Gold, you know, you're talking, also it's a big jump. That's like saying I'm going to take a, uh, a guy from the American Hockey League and he's going to quarterback my power play. You know, like you're putting, like, come on. like let's Defensively just, at first, I think he's got it. Uh, listen, I'm just telling you. Defensively, okay, I'll give you that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know enough about him defensively, but we're talking about DH here. He's got pop. He's got pop, but so does Tyler O'Neill. Well, he's got... Well, we, and what about Dylan Carlson, who might be on the extended roster where you can slide him as a DH? Like, I just think that there's other options for me, anyways. Yeah, is but, Ravello the new guy that everybody wants to see in the majors? I'm, I'm seeing on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. There's a lot of people that are in on Ravello. We do this every year. Mm -hmm. it's and it's Alex that's texting this, this thing here. I'm watching him go, and he just keeps writing it over and over. I do have five different fake phone numbers that I use for that text line to make it sound better. This is not unique to St. Louis by any stretch. This is the case everywhere. Whoever the guy is that's raking down in AAA, everybody wants to see him up. And I get it. I really do. But once they get up, they ultimately become the forgotten man. They typically end up going back down to AAA. Or they, they get traded like while. Luke Voigt. 
sure. become actually a stud. Well, that's a fair point on the other side of things here. But like for for a while, it was Aledmus Diaz, right? Aledmus yeah. Diaz was the guy that you had to get up. They got him up. He was great, and then he wasn't great anymore. I I don't know. Ravello is not a guy that I would ultimately be all in on as your designated. The track record, yes, it's the minors, Rivs, and I understand that. But the track record for having a Ravello there, who's kind of an unknown when it comes to being at the plate of the DH, is much better, I think, than the track record of Matt Carpenter as a DH for you. Well, I guess we'll find out, eh, boys? Absolutely. In or out on Ribs and BK on 101 ESP. And the next one I want to get to you is actually not sports-related, Jamie. There is a story going around, again, from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that school could look very different for kids next year here Mm -hmm. in the St. Louis area and across Missouri in general. They are potentially talking about going year-round for schooling now. There could also be some other changes. You could have some a.m. p.m. where half the class goes in the beginning of the day, half the class goes at the end of the day. You could have like an A-day, B-day system where half of them go on Monday and half of them go on Tuesday, so on and so forth. You could have situations where a portion of the class is able to do virtual learning, where they're just in on like a Skype type of a learning, a Uh Zoom type of a learning. There's a bunch of different options. The one I wanted to get your in or out on, though, was year-round schooling. Are you in or out on year-round schooling, which is essentially go to school for a month, off for two weeks. Go to school for a month, off for two weeks, instead of getting the long extended summer break that we're typically used to. Okay, so uh, I'm glad you added this. I have experience in this field. Oh, really? Yes, I do. When This uh, is Canada, isn't it? No, no. It's uh, St. Charles, where we lived out in Francis Howell School District. When my kids started going to school here in St. Louis area, it was year-round. It was a cycling system to where you would have, like, three weeks on or three months on, three weeks off. Like, this whole thing. And you would literally go year-round school. Yes, there would be a pause in the summer at some point where, yes, your school year is over. You're moving on to the next grade and whatnot. But it was huge for my family because I was not playing in St. Louis at the time. So every couple, six weeks, six to eight weeks, whatever it was, my family could come and visit me Hmm. for seven to ten days and then come back and go back to school. And I personally thought it was great. Uh, I loved it. I think think a lot of parents do like it because you're getting these breaks throughout the year, not Mm -hmm. just one big lump sum of free days for the kids in the summer. It's a lot easier for vacations, tell you that much, for families. It is. I think Um, the motivation factor here, too, because, I mean, imagine a kid rather than having to go school straight through but to be able to have a couple weeks off, get your mind straight, and then be able to go back into it, I think there's more motivation than being off for three months. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the system. It worked well for us at the time. And Texter writes, and better pay the teachers. Well, yeah, the teachers are paid anyway. I believe it ends up being like the same say, amount of days. From what I understand, yeah. the, the, the breaks end up being the same as if you had the long extended th- two or three month summer. That I, you I'd love to hear have. from a teacher, too, because I bet it would benefit them to be able to catch up on work where they don't have, feel like they're always working during a school year where you have three months off you get a couple weeks you can spend time with family i got a text here uh mrs rivers shannon is listening to the show and Uh of course has to correct me because well she lived it more than i did and it was uh on so let's see here if i can oh her spelling's good today all right we were on six weeks off three weeks so there you go that's what we were doing 
uh, when my kids were little, and it worked out really, really, really good for us. My only personal experience with it was when I was a kid, my, my family lives out in Denver. Most of my family is out there, Denver, the, the Denver surrounding areas. My cousins went to year-round school. They were testing it out with their school. They were kind of a guinea pig out in the Denver area. And he was telling me about it when he had come to town in Kansas City over one Christmas break. And he was like, yeah, so we're, we're doing this year-round school. I was like, that sounds terrible. You mean you don't get a summer vacation? And then he explained it to me. He's like, no, but we get off, like, periodically. Like, we're, we're on for a month, off for two weeks. I was like... That sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It took all of like five minutes for him to explain to me and be like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. A lot of sense for people to go that route instead of the three months in the summer where you're just off and not learning and you forget everything that you learned the uh, and, previous and year. Like childcare stuff too for parents that it's a lot harder to have one big massive gap yeah. and, and try to keep your kids busy and organized and all that. And where if you have a couple weeks, now you can, like you said, work in your own vacation time. So that you get to do it together. I would I imagine know. parents probably despise summer break. There's just more oh, stress yeah. on them. Well, it's a, yeah, they do. And that's why with our hockey camp business, with Synergy Hockey, like we have camps every week of the summer because people are looking for things for their kids to do. And kids, quite honestly, guess what? After like a week or 10 days, they get kind of bored anyways, <laughs> and they want to start doing things. I can assure you of that, given the quarantine right now. Oh, God, yes. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, get your questions in. The Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. It's time for questions and answers on Ribs and BK, 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It is time for questions and answers. Let's start with this one, Jamie. Uh, one thing that people are talking about on the text line is how it would work for sports with the year-long schooling. So if we do this where, say, it's six weeks on, three weeks off that you were talking about, or a month and two weeks, see, there's a million different ways that you could ultimately formulate this thing. But let's say you get into football season, right? Mm-hmm. You got high school football, and we're actually playing high school football in this hypothetical scenario. Yeah, yeah, of course. How does this work? I do think it would take away a little bit from that. But ultimately, for the greater good, I, th- I think it could be meaningful. Yeah, look, as it is, high school sports, to my knowledge, they still practice during the summer. They have things that they can do. They have the, the training and whatnot. So I, I I didn't have my kids in high school when we went through this, so I don't really have experience in that particular scenario. However, I think, I think in college, at the college level, you get breaks at college. You have holidays. You have things. And the team still manages. Like, they go back. I remember my brother played college hockey, and they got these long extended breaks, but the team didn't get those long extended breaks. They had, you know, times where they had workouts. They had practice. They'd have to go back a week early, whatever it is. Uh, so I would imagine that's how you'd get around it. And maybe then the education system would plan, like, all of your finals or your big tests in that three weeks to where you're not playing sports so each individual student athlete could probably have more success in the classroom i don't know it's hypothetical i think it works well for i don't think it changes anything for the practices or anything like that i think you're able to do all of that the same way you would previously the one thing that i do think it would change a little bit of is the atmosphere and environments while the season is going on so 
let's say you're uh, we're, we're right down the street from Desmet, right? Like on a on a Friday night, I don't know that you're going to get the same crowd, the same excitement, the same anticipation for whatever that game is on that Friday as you would if you were in school. Yeah, and then, then the you don't have the Monday. games. What I'm saying is you don't have games during that time off. You just have study break maybe for like a week, and then you have practices popped in there, and then when you know come if that back, can work. I don't know. I don't know if that can work. I think now you're getting too far into the calendar. Okay, but what about college football? They have that massive break after the season's over, and they play the bowl games. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't think you can do it for high school. Maybe you can. Maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe you can ultimately extend the season by a month, but it just seems unlikely. And then you've got the playoffs at some point where... You're waiting two weeks to potentially start. I, I don't know. It, it seems difficult from that perspective if you don't play those games while you're off. Yeah. I do think you could play them. It would just take away a little bit from some of the anticipation and some of the atmosphere that you would typically expect, both at those games on the Friday nights and then the following Monday. Like, as a high school football player, if you get a big win on Friday, coming back the following Monday is a pretty cool experience walking around as the big man on campus. You know? That's a good point. With sure. Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Questions and answers, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. All right, Jamie, let's get into this real quick because you watched last night the Alex Smith documentary. The I did. 60 on Alex Smith's leg. Now, if you haven't seen this, if you're a listener and you haven't seen this yet, I'd highly recommend it. It's really good. It's one of the best things that I've watched in quarantine thus far. And basically, it takes you through everything that Alex Smith has gone through since he essentially snapped his leg in half on the football field and then had all of the different surgeries. I think it's 18 total that he had to be able to fix it since then and his journey to try to walk and then try to get back onto the football field. What was your biggest takeaway from watching that last night? Well, it's amazing to see, you know, the drive that this individual has knowing that, look, if we, everybody always goes, well, he's made enough money. I mean, that's always a popular uh, comment for everybody is he doesn't need to be doing this and yeah he's fine anyways but there's that that animal that beast inside you we've talked about this that competitiveness that he's craving anyone to get back and play in the NFL and watching the obstacles that he had to deal with and get through from a physical and an emotional standpoint it was really uh, it was so interesting and you know my my one boy Ashton um, big hoss, and you've seen yep. him. He's a mutant. Uh, He's a massive human being. He was born with a, uh, a birth. He has a birth defect where his he had a fibular hemimelia, where one leg it just naturally it's just smaller. It was shorter and a skinnier leg, and so at the age of twelve or thirteen, I think it was twelve. My wife and I decided, well, we're going to have this leg length- lengthening procedure done. And we went to Shriners, which, by the way, hats off to Shriners. They're the best in the business. But they had to cut his leg in half and then put these pins just like Alex Smith, the halos, I call them, around the legs. And and each one of them had a screw that you had to turn every night before bed. And what it did essentially is it broke his leg. And then it would heal and break the leg and heal and break the leg and heal. So watching alex smith go through what he's going through and, and all these setbacks he's had it brought back a lot of memories for my own son who who went through all this and got back to playing hockey at a high level and he's back on the ice and now as we've seen him he's this massive human being and everything seems to be quite normal but a lot of emotions watching alex smith last night and i've nothing but respect for the man that dude's a warrior yes and i i mean that when i say it i mean that dude like 
following those teams in Kansas City, his teammates absolutely loved him. You asked me last night, would, would Patrick Mahomes be Patrick Mahomes without Alex yeah. Smith? The answer is no. Like, Patrick Mahomes would have been great. I, I think he was going to be great no matter what. But part of what made Mahomes who he is was learning from Alex Smith and the way that Alex Smith prepared. And you can see that on this documentary. The way that he takes his work seriously is he is a top-notch competitor. He's not the same as Michael Jordan. It's different. It's a mm -hmm. different style, stylistically. But, man, that dude... I, Hats off to him. It's an unbelievable documentary. You can check it out. I think ESPN's playing it all the time now at this point, and uh, it is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of graphic images, but it's it's definitely worth checking out. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's time to catch up with Chris Kerber, our weekly chat with the voice of the Blues. What does he think hockey's going to look like if and when it returns? We'll ask him for his updated response to that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Three, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line where we are happy to be joined by Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the blues for 101 ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, how you doing today? Hanging in. How are you guys doing? We are doing A-OK. -okay. All right, Kerbs. So, I've got a quick story for you. So the last couple of days, my girlfriend and I, we live right in front of a, a school. So we've been going to the backyard and we have now decided that in, what is this, week six of quarantine, the next activity that we're going to try to figure out is basically racquetball. We take some tennis rackets, we take a couple of tennis balls, we go out there and we play a game of essentially racquetball against the wall on the school. And I got to be honest with you, Curbs, I am sore as hell. The last couple of days I'm walking in here. I can barely move my forearm. My hips feel like I just had seven weeks of skating on them. I feel like I am officially getting old. I'm curious, Curbs. What's the activity that you do that immediately as you do it, you're like, oh, my God, I, I am very much realizing just how old I am getting. I don't look at it that way. Uh, you never like you never do something. I like doing is well. No, I got. I'll go for a jog. I mean, I had I had back surgery a couple years ago, so going for a jog is kind of a royal pain now. It's like I can't do it very often. Maybe once a week, uh, depending on the length. Like I, I can jump in there and just start, you know, go for about a four and a half mile jog. But then I I can't really do that for the rest of the week. I got to get on the, the bike or the elliptical or something. So. I'd say if, if I had to look at it that way, I'd probably say going for a jog uh, where I can't do it as much anymore. Now, Curbs, listen, I don't know how you are with this. I, I try, I'm trying to stay in shape. I'm trying to stay active every day. And then there's the odd time, and I don't know why. I'll just go for a nice walk. And, you know, like New York City, when, when you're on the road there, and even Chicago. We were there this year in Chicago. We got to Chicago, went for a walk downtown and just kind of, little sightseeing the next day i had shin splints from you know where and i'm like i'm an active guy but i don't know i just if that's the one thing for me walking around like streets next day guaranteed shin splints you know what i i so a couple years back not that anybody really wants to know this or gives a rat's patootie but um like i, I will tell you this anybody that has dealt with plantar fasciitis um will know exactly what I'm talking about. That probably 
some of the worst pain I've ever felt. It hurt when you sat down. It hurt, like, it just hurt constantly. So, uh, um, you know, I, I had a procedure done on it. That, that fixed it. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of, of the shoes. So, so here's the thing. I'll, I'll turn it into something a little different. Like, there's two things that I think stress me out probably the most. One, shoe shopping, and the other one is mattress shopping. <laughs> the idea that I'm going to go spend that money on a mattress, you know, and, and, uh, and that, that's where the guys at, you know, at Mattress Direct were pretty, really doggone great because I'm like, I'm seriously, you're going, wait a minute, you're going to buy something. I'm going to be on this thing every single night for the next uh, 10 years, whatever it is, eight years. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't stand it. The other thing is, uh, the, the other thing is shoe shopping. Like, I don't know how in the hell people buy shoes online. Like, like, like first off, I'm not a big buy clothes online thing because if they don't fit right you got to go through the whole return process and i'd rather just go buy it and have it so uh but but shoes for me especially after dealing with plantar fasciitis man i'm like i'm pretty much like a picky eater when it comes to those things so i i, I would i'd put those two things on my list as things that i just uh no i don't want i do not want to have to deal with all right, Curbs, uh, I got one for you here again, and we just finished talking about this, is uh, the thought of year-round school and for the kids. And apparently it would be like from grades one through five is what I'm being educated by our text line. I went through it with my kids out in Francis Howe School District. It was yep. six weeks on, three weeks off. Six weeks on, three weeks off. You're a parent, yeah, and your wife's a teacher. What do you think of the whole concept? You know, we've had a lot of discussions about that, Jamie, uh, and I've actually, I, I know some people that have obviously done that as well. One, one of my friends in, in Raleigh, uh, she's actually, they actually had the choice down there of what type of schooling you wanted to put your kids into. You could do the year-round, you could do the traditional. They're actually now transitioning their kids back to the traditional because the year-round in high school wasn't an option for them. And um, I don't know, I'm... I'm I have not talked to too many people that uh, that didn't like it, whether it be a teacher or a parent. So I, I'd be kind of curious to see how it works. Now, for me, the challenge would be, for example, let's say they started that next year. All right, I've got one kid in high school, one kid in middle school, and then one kid going into fifth grade. It would be a royal pain from a family standpoint to have two in the traditional and one in the year round. So I, I, there are That's some challenges point. with it. But, um, you know, and, and again, I, I have a good friend that, that dealt with those challenges. That's why they're moving their kids all back to the traditional style. So my guess is it would be a hard sell for the most part for people in the state of Missouri uh, who just resist change like you read about and have to wait 20 years after somebody presented an idea to see how it would work. Hmm. We're talking with Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues for 101 ESPN. You can find him on Twitter, at Chris Kerber. All right, Kerbs, right now in the studio, we're watching ESPN, and they've got their best sports finishes. They're going through the top ten. Number one was the kick six in the uh, Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn a few years ago. I'm curious for you. What is your favorite finish to a game that you've ever called? The game that you were on that immediately comes to mind when you're like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe that it finished that way. Uh, do you want me to count the Stanley Cup final game seven? <laughs> yeah. That's you want me to go, 
Let me go a little deeper than the obvious, boys. I no, but curves. We didn't know if look. Obviously, that is the number one. Okay, but we didn't know. You know, the Pat Maroon goal. There yeah. were other things that happened in their epic run last year. Where, I mean, yeah. got you had some great calls. So you know what? For, for sake of discussion, let's eliminate Game Seven, Stanley Cup Championship game, okay. and, and maybe one of the other ones. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll go a little more obscure. Obviously. You know the Pat Maroon one, uh, Game Seven was uh, was another big one. I would say what well, one that just still jumps out because it happened so early in my time here with the St. Louis Blues. But the five goal third period comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs was just something that was amazing. You're down five nothing in the third period. You figure this game is over, and uh, and the Blues come back to win it. And at the time. The the writers were in front of us, kind of down below in front of us, and from a broadcast booth standpoint there in Toronto. And I get done with the calls. The Blues complete the comeback. And they hadn't even won it yet. They had just completed the comeback. So they made it 5-5. And Chaser stands up, looks down at all the writers below us, and going, the best part about this is each and every one of you is to rewrite your story. <laughs> and uh, that was... Um, you know that that one was pretty good. Um, that 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 one I I put, I put that one up there as kind of my non-playoff uh, kind of finishes. I, I think I think the Roar Bacon Chicago game where Elise Butler uh, misspells <laughs> yeah. Roar back and uh, autocorrected to Roar Bacon. Uh, that that game in Chicago, you know, was 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 pretty doggone uh, good as well. All right, Curves, you bring up playoffs in this, and you know it's got the juices flowing here for me in the studio. The NHL has looked at some different ideas recently and, you know, a lot of hearsay, a lot of things being thrown out there. The one thing I wanted to ask you is, what are your feelings on this 24-team playoff idea? Um, you know, so I looked at the standings on that, Jamie, and, and when you do, if you go with the plan that they're looking at, at, at least you've got every team at, at 500 or better, you know. I mean, like the Chicago Blackhawks would be included in it. And, and in all fairness, with, you know, with 11 games, 10 games to go, depending on where teams were, they were only six points out. Yeah, a lot of teams to jump, but only six points out. So, you know, I, they, they weren't dead in the water. So I, I think that you could, re, you could at least accept some level of fairness in, in that. The challenge that they're going to have is you're going to have to get some of these other teams, some of like the Blues, Boston, some of these other teams, you're, you're going to have to get them – in a uh, in a situation where they're playing a couple of games, because mm -hmm. you can't have you you cannot have the Chicago Blackhawks, you know the Nashville Predators, whomever it be the Winnipeg Jets, you could not have them playing a best of three series, and then having come off of this long layoff, having those guys have three games under their belt, and then the team they're playing not. I mean, I I, I see a very big competitive imbalance there, where all of a sudden that that little bit of difference of having played a few games versus not. And, we, and I'll give you the example, guys. The example is how would, how did teams play coming off of their week-long bye week when other teams were playing? That's I mean, and point. it was crazy how the, the losses that those teams had. Well, that could play out in this scenario. And I, so I think it makes some sense, Jamie, but I think you've got to be able to get uh, some games in for those other teams. He's Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Kerber. We always enjoy having him on Ribs and BK each and every Wednesday. Kerbs, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll talk with you again next week, all right? 
Yeah, you got it, guys. Jamie, I'll give you one quick food for thought here. You guys can banter around it as, as we finish here. Uh, what if one of the scenarios is so teams can hold on to a key player in this uncertainty is they entered this season without a salary cap or salary floor so teams could financially manage their way through this without the restrictiveness of a cap? Ooh, I like the idea. Of that, is this Curbs. something that uh, you're hearing is being floated around, Curbs? No, it's literally something I was just sitting around thinking of. I'm serious. I I, I, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I'm throwing it out there, just thinking outside the box. And, and here's, here's a little think about this. Like I'm thinking of the Alex Petrangelo situation, right? And it's not like I think teams would go completely nuts in this situation because there's a new CBA coming up after next year anyway. Right. So they're going to have to be responsible. But knowing that you're going to need certain things, knowing that these markets are going to need key players, no, like, and the uncertainty of it all. I wonder if you gave the teams the ability to completely manage their situation without a cap scenario, and again, get rid of the cap also gets rid of the floor. I, I just I, I wonder how that would play out uh, from either a, a PA or an NHL owner standpoint. I, I don't know that anyone would go for it, but I would definitely love to hear the debate. Hey, Curbs, we're going to give you that debate. We're going to do it next. How's that sound? We appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Other boys. All right, guys. Enjoy it. Have a great show. You're the Thanks, best. Kerber. It's Chris Kerber joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So I had some hot takes on pillows and mattresses. We're going to go ahead and avoid that for now. Instead, we're going to talk about what Chris Kerber just proposed. We'll do it next on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack's going to join us coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, coming up at 1 o'clock. Darren Drager, one of the lead NHL insiders, will join us. That's coming up at 1 o'clock. But I wanted to react to something that Chris Kerber just had to say on the show. And it's his own proposal. This isn't sourced. This isn't something that he knows for sure the NHL is considering. But let's kick it around nonetheless because we got nothing better to do right now, quite frankly. So... He proposed basically, what if you go into next season, and if I understood his proposal correctly, you get one exception. You get a guy that essentially doesn't count towards the cap. Was it one guy? No, it no, was He no, talked about no, no salary, salary cap, cap. Just an uncapped year. Just an uncapped year with no floor so, either. So you go into free agency, regardless of what the salary cap floor is, it's infinite. You're playing baseball style where there's no salary cap. There's no luxury tax. It's just your... Signing whoever you want. So we've seen this one year in the NFL that I can recall. It was the year prior to the new CBA being implemented, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, it was basically just the Cowboys that ended up going over the cap that year, or what was projected to mm -hmm. be the cap. Everybody else basically played with what they would have had. I wonder, Jamie, from your perspective, the thing that I would fear if I'm a player from this perspective is, what about the teams that are going to go under the floor now? They're just going to sell off their assets, and they're going to try to avoid as many contracts as they can. That being said, here in St. Louis, the way that it impacts them is I don't think that would end up being the case. I think if you had an uncapped season next year because of everything that's going on, you would have the Blues be able to re-sign Alex Petrangelo as a result. I just think it would be that simple. I think you'd be able to keep Petro, and I think it's possible, maybe, depending on the financial situation, they'd be able to keep Jake Allen as well. Yeah, um... So here's where I go with this is I like the idea in theory. Um, you know, I, I think that it would be interesting to see how certain teams handled it. I do worry about the floor a little bit because before there was a floor involved in the NHL, some guys barely made money. Just, you know, yeah. They were at the bottom, and I know times have changed and contracts are different, but if you are forced, per se, in quotations, if you are forced 
to sign a superstar player and give him more money, guess what? Somebody's taking less money somewhere else. And now the thing I worry about overall with this then is the absolute animals that are the Toronto Maple Leafs, that are the New York Rangers, these teams that have the deepest pockets out of everybody just going, hey, for one year, let's go get this, 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 this. We don't care. We have enough revenue to cover everything, and we're just going to dominate. And I think that that's one of the main reasons that they put a salary cap in was certainly for cost efficiency for the owner, so they had a, a, a number and they weren't you know, being pushed to the limit like that. Uh, but also because Detroit Red Wings, I was part of a team there, $85 million payroll. Right. And it's like, oh, my God, right? Like, you would see that again. It you was would see- unfair having Hall, Shanny, Iserman, Lidstrom, Chelios, Pashik all on Pashik one team. and Cujo yeah. on the same team. All on it, one it was team. like, it was craziness. So I think that that would be met with a lot of resistance from the owners. But, okay, here's where your point to start this off is where I was going to go with Curbs uh, before we went to the break was... Maybe you can identify one player. I was about to get to that, yeah. So, like, not like a franchise tag in the NFL, but kind of, sort of, right? A designated player that doesn't account for what he's typically going to be paid against the cap. One player. One player. And that way there you get your one exemption. So here it would possibly be Alex Petrangelo, right, where you're like, okay, we're going to pay Petrol what market value should be. So let's say we give him $11 million, for you know the one season he's not going to count against our salary cap then Toronto can survive a little bit better too cuz they've got a lot of money wrapped up in their superstars every team quite honestly has the one guy the outlier where you can be like whoo okay we can take this guy off the books helps me breathe a little easier being able to field a team that's competitive especially coming out of this weird situation where you're going to want to market your team and you're going to want to generate some kind of revenue out of this I think that I, I like that idea. I, I love that idea, too, and I think that would be the way to go rather than just a full salary cap. There, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, if you are just doing the salary cap, I don't know if players are going to be willing to just sign a one-year max deal because then the uncertainty, and Petro talked about that with Pierre Lebrun in The Athletic, saying that, look, money's important, but right now I want certainty of my future. Mm-hmm. I want to have length. Teams I don't know are going to be able to do length, and I don't know if players are going to want to do that. But here's the other thing, and there's there's a team that I think benefits more than anybody on if this happens, the Seattle expansion team, because next offseason would be that expansion draft. And imagine if you did sign all of these players to these contracts that's just zero salary cap, Seattle's going to be a team that's going to benefit because those players are going to want to offload some good players. You're talking about mm-hmm. another Las Vegas scenario and the team's benefit. It would set up for a hell of an offseason, that's for sure. And I'm not just saying one-year deals either, okay? Yeah. I'm saying for that one year it's of exempted. the con. And then renegotiate. No, no, no renegotiate. So if Petro signed a six-year deal for whatever, let's just say $60 million, okay? If just for conversation's sake, his first year of that deal would be exempt from the salary cap. It gives a team, every team in the NHL, a one year, a full season of runway. And then reassess the offseason the next year. To try and figure things out for the next season. It's a, it's a, it would set up a very intriguing offseason this offseason of what those super teams could look like and then next offseason of how teams would direct mm-hmm. where they're going to go. We've talked a lot about the other side of this where you could potentially have an exemption where you just have a buyout, right? That doesn't count at all against your cap. You're 
you're just able to completely get rid of that contract. You have, they call it the amnesty clause in the NBA, where they were able to get it into the CBA, where one time in that 10-year period, you could eliminate one salary from your books and doesn't count for your cap at all. You just pay them out whatever their salary was remaining. We've seen it from that side of things. This would be the other side, where instead of eliminating something from your books by getting rid of that player, you're able to add that player to your books but the salary doesn't actually show up against the cap. And so I think it could be really interesting for the Blues because now you're in a situation where let's say they've still got to get rid of Jake Allen. That's probably going to have to happen for them to even figure out and to get underneath this cap to be able to re-sign Vince Dunn. Now you basically bring back everybody else. You just replace Huso for next season. And I do think it's going to be important for the teams that have the continuity going into next year with the coaching staff, with the system, with the players in place that have that togetherness. I think that's going to help whoever comes back with the majority of their roster next year. And this is already a good team that has played together because of what the offseason is ultimately going to look like. So to your point there, uh, which I like the idea, uh, Hamster jumped in its wheel and started running up here in my head. And what if you had the one year set aside where you have your one player exemption from the salary cap, but then the following offseason. So, Alex, to your point, to where this offseason would be unique and busy, the following offseason, in order to regulate things and try to get back on track, you would allow each team at that point one free buyout. And now they can. what they can do is they can reset the market properly by doing that. And you know what? If the player's a good player, he's not going to have trouble finding a job somewhere else. He'll get whatever the percentage is on the buyout. He'll get it. He'll be able to walk away, go find somebody else to play for, make a decent salary. I, I think that that would be very intriguing at that point for each team to have the exemption, following off season, one free buyout, and then you would throw Seattle in the yeah. mix with that kind of a scenario. Yeah. Now you've really got something. Here's and, the, here's Sorry, BK. Here's the one caveat that we talked about on This Week in Hockey because this topic came up. The, 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 the player that exempt for the salary cap next year would have to be a player that you signed. You can't pick a player from your team. I don't like that. I don't it's going to be the guy that you that. signed. I don't think it should have to be that at all. I think it should be able to be like, for for instance, going to the Blues example, right? Let's say for the next offseason, you decide Alex Steen's going to be that buyout guy. He's going to have his $5 million salary. You shouldn't be only allowed to buy out Alex Petrangelo's. If you're going to have this in, go ahead and make it eligible for everybody. I, the one thing that you'd have to do, though, is make this rule now. You can't implement this while well, we've got this. You've got the exemption for next season. We'll par put that in now. And then next offseason, okay, we'll talk about the buyout. No, these general managers need to be able to plan. They need to be able to know now in this offseason what their future looks like, not just for 2020, 2021, but also for 21, 22, 22, 23. How do I plan for the future of my organization? They need to be able to do that. Army's been trying to do that. Now we got a wrench thrown in everything. He needs to know what his next offseason looks like. Based on your comment there, Alex, uh, I think that you should be able to identify any player you want on your roster. That's part of the strategy, right? So if you don't necessarily have Alex Petrangelo signed yet, okay, then you're going to go to another player, your highest paid, and say, okay, this guy's exempt now. Then if you get a deal done for Petro or some other unrestricted free agent, you're just going to have to figure it out. That's the beauty of it. Now you're actually making the GMs work a little bit. If you just make it the player you sign, 
well, that's kind of an easy one. Then you can just run up the scoreboard, basically, for that one guy, and then we'll figure that out later. This way here takes a little more effort to identify, you know, is your free agent going to be your exemption? Maybe not. Maybe it's player B who makes 7 or $8 million. I'd like to see him be exempt, and we can make it work in other ways because we're going to buy out a player in this position next year. So you're already thinking two or three steps ahead and I think the strategy part of that would be fun to watch. I would also hate it if I'm one of those guys that this year signs the exempt deal because I know, okay, I'm getting bought out next offseason. No, like it doesn't I, necessarily mean yeah, you're bought out. It's not the buyout. It's, there's no salary cap for this upcoming season. I understand, season. but going down your path of right now you've got the exemption and the next offseason the only guys that you can buy out would be those exempt players. If you If you are only allowed to use it on those guys, they're going to wonder all year, am I getting bought well, out? They in the won't sign those deals. And, and it's not about right. the exemption. It's the fact that there's no salary cap. And it's you have one season where it's nothing. So you're going into the offseason looking at Alex Petrangelo, and Toronto can say, well, hell, we got no offseason. We can throw $13 million at this guy. That's great. But then next year, what are you going to do with your salary cap situation? With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery saying thank you to those helping our community. Today's very deserving delivery going to the great folks working at Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury excuse me, Police Department and St. Louis Fire Department Engine House 31, Districts 3 and 4. Their awesome staff is going to be enjoying 100 meals today delivered by Pete Rose on Watson Road. Those meals are courtesy of Hubbard St. Louis and our good friends at Walker Knoll Florist. Thank you to Walker Knoll Florist. Our continued gratitude for all those great folks working on our medical community and on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard St. Louis radio family. Coming up next is Danny Mack. What does he think about when baseball is coming back? We'll talk to him next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, where we are happy to be joined by Dan McLaughlin. He's the host of Scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. You can also hear him on the Redbird Report every Monday night from 6 to 7 o'clock. Dan, how you doing, my man? I am doing great, trying to stay positive. I, I hope everybody else is, and uh, let's hope maybe this time next week we're talking about the return of baseball or maybe sports as we know it. Who knows? But definitely baseball. It, it seems to be coming front and center the next couple of weeks to make a decision one way or another. All right, Danny Mac, you're dialed in. I know you are. You're a little bit of an insider. You don't usually like to pull back the curtain too far, so I won't put you in that spot. But are you hearing anything out there in your circle of... It, People that you know, is this picking up some momentum? Is it still like in the who I'm not sure phase? You got a little, you got a little scoop for us. Well, I think it's a little bit of everything, Rivs. To be quite honest with you, and I, I think when people have talked about it, they truly have been honest in saying we just don't know. Um, I think though now with time becoming of the essence to to fit in potentially an 82 game regular season, and then you'd have. Uh, more than likely a three-week spring training, just you know, start doing the numbers and backtracking on your on your calendar. They've got to figure out something here in the next week or two. And you know, there was, I, I think, by leaking it, the information of of potentially how the economics work. And I know people don't want to hear that. You you do get a temperature of the the general public and the court of public opinion. Um, and with that, some has been good, some has been bad. I, I can see both sides of this thing, and it's such a unique situation with both the owners and the players. 
But the, the bottom line is that's how you start negotiations. You know it better than anybody that's talking on the air right now. You're a player. You, you were in those, uh, those battles with your agent of saying, well, I earned this or I deserve this. And they're saying, well, maybe not. This is what you get. Um, but it's only day two, uh, as they did meet yesterday and talk more about the health concerns for the players more so than the economics. And the economics will start to trickle out. But to the original point, I do think that everybody has been at a wait-and-see period. I don't think there's been people withholding information. And, and we're all just kind of waiting to see uh, what both sides present. And, and number one, it's got to be safe and, and healthy enough for the players to feel comfortable in that environment to play and then figure out the economics. But we all are still at a wait-and-see period as the virus kind of dictates what we all wait for and do. Yeah, Dan, yesterday I was reading Jeff Passan, and he said four so- sources told him they landed on the same time frame. They have about two and a half weeks, so basically 15 to 20 yeah. days is kind of what we're looking at in terms of the timetable to be able to come to a decision here. Yeah, Mike Schilt was on my program earlier, and you guys heard that. You know, he's saying 21-day period of a spring training 2.0. So roughly you know it's going to be three weeks. You start backtracking that to uh, early June, and that takes you to the 1st of July or 4th of July as your coming out party. So that gives you from now until then, which is a couple of weeks, and, and that's what you have to work with. Dan, I find it interesting you brought up Mike Schilt there because I wanted to ask you about him. Earlier today I mentioned that I, I think the – the open-mindedness that the Cardinals have with their manager is going to give them a little bit of an advantage this season because if you got to go to a six-man rotation, he'll find a way to do it. If you got to go to the DH, he'll find a way to utilize it to the best of his ability. If you're going to have other things that ultimately come up with double headers and you got to go seven innings in those, he's going to find a way to manage through those. I think they've got an advantage with their manager right now. What do you think about that? He's really good. Um, BK, I mean, I'm telling you, this guy is really smart, understands how to push the right buttons. Um, and, and Ribs, you know this, and, and you can speak about this better than myself or BK or Alex or anybody else because you played. There, there are certain guys that know how to push buttons of veterans, the young players, understanding the money that's a part of the game. Um, so you, you have to get along with the front office to make sure things are happy on that front. He's just very, very good at being able to mix and, and mesh that all together to come up with the right solutions. And in terms of, of what you're talking about, BK, and I've done a lot of thinking about what the game is going to look like with an expanded roster, with the DH, with some of the things you're talking about. And as much as I've thought about it, believe me, he's gone over those scenarios a million times in his mind and talked with his staff. His staff is really good, too. You know, Mike Maddox and Ali Marmol, his bench coach, obviously Willie McGee and Pop Warner and and some of the others. They're very, very bright individuals. These guys have PhDs in the game of of baseball. So they thought about it. Um, I I think what's interesting, what will be really interesting, is if it's only an 82-game season, which that's what it looks like it's going to be, Um, Mike's teams in the second half of a season have been historically really good. And that's when he took over for Mike Matheny the first year. So he had a half season and, and they busted it, had an unbelievable August, ran out of gas. And then last year, really good start, bad second month, I think it was, and then kind of coasted into the all-star break. And then after the all-star break, he got the most out of his team this year. You can't do that. And so the leash is very short where let's say if this was a normal season, You'd have to take a hard look at Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and Tyler O'Neill 
and Bader and Lane Thomas and say, okay, we have a pretty sizable leash for these guys to get in, kind of get eased in, see the, the things that they worked on. Um, and if you lose some games along the way, it's okay because it's a 162-game regular season. This year you can't. That leash is going to be very short. you got to play your best guys. And where it comes to, to his relationships with players, those are uncomfortable decisions sometimes to make and conversations to have with players. And he's very good at saying, hey, you're not producing. Here's what we're thinking. Believe me, we still believe in you. We're going to get the best out of you. But we got to go with the best guys that are hot right now. And that's something to think about moving forward. Talking to Dan McLaughlin here, the voice of the Cardinals, our own scoops with Danny Mack from 10 to 11 daily here. Danny, I got a question for you. Yeah, I listened to your talk with Mike Schilt and his thought on the DH. He was kind of lukewarm. He'd, re- he'd prefer to keep it the way it is. But if we advance to the DH, and we had this discussion earlier, we talked about Matt Carpenter. I mentioned Tyler O'Neill, maybe Dylan Carlson. And then our text line lit up. With the name of a guy that I don't even know, and I'm looking to get a little scouting report here on him, and no better guy than you, and that guy was, if I say this correctly, Rangel Ravello? Rangel Ravello. Rangel Ravello. People lit up our text line saying, this guy's legit. This guy can do it. He might, he should get a shot at DH. What's our scouting report on him? Well, he's a guy that has spent a ton of time in the minor leagues and finally got his shot at the big leagues last year. And... He made, to an extent, in my opinion, uh, Jose Martinez expendable in picking up uh, Matthew Libertor in the trade with Tampa Bay. And so the idea was this year he would come off the bench. He could play the outfield positions. He can play first base. And you always hear the, the term professional hitter. He's a professional hitter. He's been around a long time. Matter of fact... There was a point in this offseason that he was going to go play overseas because uh, there was only going to be a short amount of time for any guy. Their window is short to make the most money they can, so he could go to Japan or go to another league and go try to make more money. And after the deal with Jose Martinez, Cardinals called him up and said, look, you're going to have a great shot to make this team. And I think he would have made the team and been a, a right-handed power bat off the bench. And so he is another guy that fits into – the plans potentially of a DH. I do like the idea of Carpenter because that allows you to play Tommy Edmond at third base. I like the idea that if Paul DeYoung needs a break, he's your DH. I like the idea potentially of any combination of Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Dexter Fowler being a DH. So I think what you you know the, the point is is that the Cardinals and, and a lot of these National League teams don't have what would be a uh, position of a player that they went out and spent a lot of money for just to come in and hit because they have to be two-way players to play defense as well. So I think you'll see more with the National League teams mixing and matching um, as opposed to saying that this guy, player X, is my DH every single day. Now, if he hits, if Ron Ravello hits, he's your guy. But you also have to remember is that going forward – the play. I, I think this is something that's overlooked. We we talk about getting um, pitchers ready for spring uh, in spring training and and get their arms built up, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, they're, they're the ones you really focus on, and it doesn't take a position player as much time to get ready. However, these guys have not been working out, so they have and they haven't. They haven't been on a baseball diamond for three and a half hours. You're going to have to give position players a break. You know, Paul DeYoung is not going to be able to play. You wouldn't think as much as he did last year. Paul Goldschmidt is going to need some time off his feet. 
Um, players were telling me, even Paul DeYoung last week on my show, he said that's one of the things I'm really concentrating on is even when I'm walking around in my house, I'm trying to stay on my feet because I know I'm going to have to be on my feet constantly when we start playing. And so if you're only getting three weeks to get ready, that's something to keep in mind. So to the original point, Ravello could play some first base, and Goldschmidt could be your DH. So nationally, teams, I think, are going to use a really flexible approach with who's hot and trying to give guys some time off, especially if you're cramming as many games with doubleheaders in in a short amount of time. Final quickie for you, Dan. What does this all mean for Dylan Carlson? You know we got to bring it back to him. Sure, and it's logical. Um, I think with the, the expansion of rosters to, to 50 players, he's definitely in, in that group. Um, now you come back down to the time of, okay, if let's just say, and we don't know how it's going to play out. We know it's a 26-man roster that could be expanded, let's say, to 30. So as it pertains to hockey, you know, you, you've got your, your guys that you want to throw out there that night, and then you have the quote-unquote healthy scratch. So I do think that you'll have that in baseball. So if Adam Wainwright, and I'll get back to Dylan here in a second, if Adam Wainwright is starting on a Tuesday, he's a healthy scratch on Wednesday. And the guy that followed him for three innings, Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon, whatever, they're a healthy scratch on Wednesday. And as it pertains to guys like Libertor, Nolan Gorman, and certainly Dylan Carlson, who's on the cusp of making the big league team, and he may have made it out of spring training, we don't know. My gut tells me he would not have. They're going to be part of that 50-man uh, roster. And so at least they're around the big league team. They're taking BP. Maybe they're traveling with the big league club. They're getting accustomed to what it's like to be a big leaguer. But it does allow you, if there's no minor league season, and just read the tea leaves here, it doesn't look like we're going to have a minor league season, that some of your top prospects can still be around to try and develop. And I do think that if, you, if the roster's expanded to 30, and back to an original point that you're putting the best people out there every single day. If he's one of the best, he's got to play. And so you start his clock, whatever that looks like, you know, you, you get the closer to arbitration for him. Obviously, that's something you deal with because if he plays, the guys that are on the 40-man, and he's not yet, uh, are all getting one year of service time, which means a year closer arbitration and for some a year closer to free agency or become free agents. And that's part of the economic system that we have to think about in, in dealing with uh, this current situation of a shortened season. So I, that's how I think. I think Dylan Carlson's the guy that would be a part of that. Dan, you're the best. What are you guys friend? laughing at? What are you guys laughing at? Uh, we, we've just got a professional broadcaster over here who's playing with his phone during the middle of no, a show. I was and looking, suddenly there's a video that's playing. <laughs> I was looking up something pertaining to what you were saying, and then the volume came on my phone, and, yeah, just a total rookie move. That's, that's not big-time radio. No. That's bad radio there. I apologize. That's, you know what? And that's a baseball term, Rivs. That, that, that's bad ball. <laughs> bad ball on your part. It's embarrassing. We are ashamed, Danny Mack. It would never happen on Scoops with Danny Mack, which oh. you can hear weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. And you should also be listening to him on the Redbird Report each and every Monday night from 6 to 7 o'clock. Dan, we are sorry I, for the I, ending. Well, I figured I was just going on too long, and you guys were doing, like, the scene from Airplane, you know, when they start, like, you know, the one guy is ready to put himself on fire, the other guy's taking a knife to himself. You know what I'm talking about, Riv. I know exactly what you're talking about. No, we're I not ready you, for you that. You did one day. of those. I was trying to give you some decent, well-thought-out information, and this is what I get. No, it was amazing, and your information was so good, I was looking at something, <laughs> and it came on, so my bad. 
No problem, guys. Have a great show, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow on the crossover. Dan, you're the best, man. We'll talk with you then. That's Danny Mac joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I thought that was a bunch of good stuff. If you missed any of it, 101ESPN.com is the place where you find it for the podcast. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we will be joined by Darren Drager, one of the best insiders for hockey that you will find anywhere. I'm curious what he has to say about if the eventual hockey return will be here in St. Louis. And coming up next, it's time for the Junk Drawer on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time to open up the Junk Drawer with Ribs and BK. Brought to you by GFI Digital. People-driven, technology-focused. Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Darren Drager, the hockey insider for TSN, is going to be joining us coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But let's go into the junk drawer. I'm going to get us started today, Jamie, because I saw this story yesterday. I think you will enjoy it very much. So we think of the NFL as this massive, huge, billion-dollar industry, right? Yeah, I'm listening. What? Two straight segments. What? I think that's more of just an insult to you, BK. What? Did it come? Did the volume go on? Again. No, it didn't. It didn't. And back to back Why? Segments, I don't Jamie. understand why. I'm trying to pull up my stuff. Forget you guys. BK, Go ahead. BK, I'm done with this. He's done with you. Jamie. I'm not done with you. I had no idea. Talking, just well, we wear a... these things called headphones, right? And I can't hear what's going on to the side of things here. And I don't know why I've got so many rookie moves. I'm trying to pull up my darn junk drawer topics for you. And the damn volume's going off. I'm, I don't know what's going on here. I'm the old guy with technology. You are a beauty, Jamie Rivers. Goodness I, gracious. You're incredible. Um, well, I don't know how to turn it on now without the volume going on, so just forget it. I'm going to wing it. Just don't look at videos. I'm, I'm not. It Everything just comes else on. is perfectly fine, but don't it look at the videos. It just comes on. I don't know what's going on. All right. So the NFL, big company, right? Lots of money. <laughs> they, they put on a massive product each and every season, correct? So Dean Blandino, the former head of officiating for the NFL, is telling a story on a podcast the other day. And he's talking about in 2016, the officiating crew sitting down in their studios where they, if there's anything that is challenged, they've got to be the ones in New York that ultimately determine whether the call was correct or if it needs to be overturned. So he's in this booth with all of the guides and he's telling the story. He says, you know, the NFL told us that what we could do is we could order food from Whole Foods while we're in this situation because you're there all day right you got to be there from like 11 o'clock up until 11 o'clock at night probably okay, yeah, yeah. eastern time so you're in this area for 12 hours you're going to want to eat at some point so they say okay you guys can order from whole foods their sponsor whatever you can order food that way so they said we're gonna buy a microwave we'll order whatever we want from whole foods they'll deliver it our way we'll put it in the microwave we'll be good to go except for one day on thanksgiving in 2016 things didn't exactly go according to plan on that day they plugged in the microwave, the fuse shorted, and they lost all ability to watch any replay in the booth. Oh, wow. All ability. For the rest of the day, replay review, not possible. An entire day on Thanksgiving with three nationally televised games, no replay available because somebody wanted to microwave their hot pocket in the replay review. Okay, so then how did they handle this? Like... There was just no replay that day. So that day, they couldn't even, like, I, do you think Not they called down and said to the head referee, hey, look, you need to quietly go tell the coaches that we don't have replay here? I mean, I know the referee gets a chance to look at it on the sidelines at the same time, but 
I mean, that would be a, a disaster if there was a call that was like needed to be made from the booth and they couldn't do it. BK, Can you you'll imagine? appreciate this because you've just started the office. Have you gotten to the fire episode yet? No, haven't gotten okay, there. We so just started season don't two. Don't ruin it for me, but it involves. I feel like we've passed the point. I mean, okay. yeah, I was yeah. gonna say it, it, it involves this scenario. So I'm rewatch. I, I am watching for the first time the Office right now. I'm through the first season. I'm through. I think three episodes on season two. Season two is so much right. better already than season one. You was. gotta you gotta grind through season one. Season one is just awful. Yeah, but is it awful or is it just where they're trying to establish the characters? Because sometimes that's boring so too, So from right? what I understand, they, and I've had a million people, different tweet, different people tweet this to me. Basically, they tried to go with the British version of Correct. The Office for the first season. They tried, tried to stay true to those characters. And then season two, they like threw out yeah. the notebook and they were like, we're going to go this route, actually. We're just going to keep doing this instead. And from what I can tell so far, significantly yeah. better show. Season one was trying to follow Ricky Gervais's character and then mm -hmm. they realized that they had an incredible actor and Steve Carell, and they let him run, and he makes the show in the second season. Yeah, you gotta make sure you're doing. Let them do their yeah, own. Thing. I envy you, BK, because that would. Uh, that was my favorite experience, just grinding through that first season and being like, God, this is glorious. <laughs> All right, Ribs and BK Juncture, and the thing I was trying to bring to the table that just keeps playing volume in the background. I don't know how to stop it, so I, I'm going to paraphrase some of it and go over it but in this pandemic uh we have talked about this before where alcohol sales have gone up anybody you talk to in the industry the distribution side heck even my local little store where i've got two guys that are amazing they're like business has been crazy during this pandemic and we know why hey one we're contributing to it because yeah. every night i know i'm having a couple but in south africa Okay, they put a ban on all alcohol during oh, their God. quarantine thing. And so what happened was they had uh, a break and enter in their, uh, in their downtown area, and it was to a morgue. Do you know why people broke into the morgue, BK? I'm assuming that they were hammered. <laughs> no. Nope. I feel like that's always the ghost explanation. No, nope. and this is what shocked me, and this is what I was trying to take a look at, is <laughs> the fact that the embalming fluid, I guess, contains an alcohol, and you can get drunk on it. So people no, literally... No, 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 uh, Let me finish. That's literally awesome. broke into the morgue to steal and drink the embalming fluid. Question for both of you uh -uh. right now Fantastic. is... Do you think you ever get to that point? No. No, that that's alcoholic level. <laughs> that's that's beyond. Yeah. Beyond. That. That's when you know you're an alcoholic. You think? Or oh, has yeah. it just been like so long for them? They're like, I just got to get my buzz on. So I was really proud of myself last night. I believe for the first time since the quarantine. Didn't have a drink the entire night. It was fantastic. Very proud of myself. I can't imagine getting to that level of desperation. I just, I can't get there. Maybe, maybe there is somebody out there in our listening audience. Six five seven eight zero is their comfort service sex line. Maybe there's somebody out there that's either been there or has gotten close to being yeah, there. I don't know how you get that close, but I, and first of all, how do you do the research on that one? Do you Google, hey, no. how much alcohol is in embalming fluid? Here's the research Where, on that. I wonder what embalming fluid does to you. Oh my! Same gosh. way they found out that Germex can give you the same buzz. How oh, can I get alcohol without drinking? That's got to be what they. That's what got to be what they <laughs> went with. It. Go try the Germex, Riz. I want to hear it. <laughs> no, thank you. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101. E
ESPN. Coming up next, Darren Drager. He's one of the best hockey insiders. He does so for TSN. He's going to join us to tell us the latest on the potential for hockey's return. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where we are happy to be joined by Darren Drager. He's a hockey insider for TSN, and you can find him on Twitter at Darren Drager. Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you guys? We're doing all right. So, Darren, you are the man to ask whenever it comes to these types <laughs> of questions. Where are we at right now with the NHL? Well... This will shock no one, but we're in a waiting mode, right? And, uh, you know, the National Hockey League and Players Association are are monitoring some of the reopenings around North America very carefully. You know, the motto is better safe than sorry. But in the meantime, you know, they continue to plan and do their due diligence. So they're strategizing, you know, both the League and the Players Association with the Return to Play Committee. And they're finalizing the protocol of what the initiation of Phase 2 will look like and then what that means for our listeners is you know when you implement phase two that means you're drawing all of the nhl players back to their nhl cities you know uh what's the 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 protocol for quarantine or self-isolation um what are the testing issues that the nhl is going to face moving forward will the players you know if they if they come into st louis as an example you know the st louis blues going to be able to you know, practice in small groups, train in small groups, you know, while uh, a team in, well, let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers, two pretty hard-hit areas in New York City and uh, and uh, really the province of Ontario, you know, are they going to be on the same competitive platform that St. Louis or, you know, uh, another American team or another Canadian team might be on based on the density and how hard-hit they are by COVID-19. Those are the decisions that the NHL is going to have to wrestle with moving forward. Right now, they're just waiting for uh, health clearance to initiate phase two. And while they're waiting, like I said, they're dealing with some of the protocol to make sure that they're ready when they get the all clear to uh, to click into phase two. All right, Dregs, you, uh, look, you talk to a lot of players, and you, you do it in a public forum, and you also do it in a private setting. You talk to management and agents around. You're a guy that's dialed in. As far as you can tell us here and the listeners, what is the biggest reserve for the players? Like, what are they most worried about uh, for Phase 2 and then Phase 3 and what a game might look like or how they're going to be able to compete properly? Are they expressing any actual, like, major things that you think could be speed bumps in this process? Well, safety is obvious, right? And and that's not just for the individual player and the coaches and the personnel and, you know, all the people that, that make an NHL organization tick. I mean, those are, are real issues. Um, and by extension, and I'm not distancing this by any way, shape, or form, the families of the players, too. Um, that's been a big one, you know, because, you know, as, as we in the media speculated probably a month or so ago, and, and the notion that, you know, once you get through phase two, and now you're into to phase three, and phase three would likely be, unless the scenario changes, players reporting to a hub city. Well, you know, the players, understandably, appreciably so, want to make sure that there's an allowance that's built in to see their spouses, their girlfriends, their wives, their children. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want to make sure that you're able to do that? And in addition to that, make sure that it's a safe environment that you're able to do that in. And that's not an easy thing to manage through because, 
you know, how do you pull a player out of his competitive environment? I mean, he's training to get back into either the regular season or maybe they dive right into a, a playoff format. You know, can he leave that environment and, and go see his wife and kids for three or five days or whatever that timeline is? And, you know, then he, when he comes back, he's going to have to be tested to make sure that he's all clear. And how long is that testing process going to take? So I would say a safe environment for everyone would be top of mind for most, if not all, NHL players. Darren, you got a great episode out today chatting with Sidney Crosby of, of Drigger Cafe. And Cros is talking about the 2014 playoff possibility when things pick back up and i've heard from a couple of players that the 20 team playoff situation might look a little more appealing to those players what are you hearing on that aspect well it could and and that's why nothing should be ruled out right i mean these are these are scenarios that remain on the table um you know 24 obviously just expands the number of teams that are competing for one of those 16 playoff spots but it gets pretty calculated and and complicated as well right I'm a simple math guy, um, but, you know, if you're a top team in your division, you know, do you automatically get a buy into that field of 16, the traditional playoff grouping? Uh, and do you want that buy? Probably not. I mean, the players have been off the ice for two-plus months now. I mean, they want every minute of ice time that they can get just to get back into game shape. And, you know, if we're talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, I mean, obviously back into to playoff form. So, I've heard the 20-team format. Uh, there's been a lot of talk on the 24-team format and what that might look like. And, you know, could you have a, a play-in? I suppose you could do it with 20 teams as well. Um, I, I, what, what most want to make sure that they protect, and this is based on the integrity of that Stanley Cup championship, is making sure that there are four rounds involving the 16 teams in, again, what is a traditional playoff format. Now, depending on where we're at in the calendar, when you kickstart all of that stuff, you know, maybe it's not a, a best of seven for the first two rounds. Maybe it's a best of five, and then you go to a best of seven in the conference final, and, and obviously the Stanley Cup championship in a perfect world, they'd play best of sevens for four rounds. We're not going to know any of this, whether it's 16 teams, 20, or 24, until uh, everybody is on the same page from a health authority standpoint. And really, that's what it boils down to, right? I mean, the league and the Players Association, all involved, can plan, and they're doing that hour by hour. But until everybody gets on the same page, the governments, the health authorities in North America, then we're going to continue to do what we're doing right now, speculating, but also waiting in the process. He's a hockey insider for TSN. He is Darren Drager joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Darren, one of the discussions all year long here in St. Louis has been the pending free agency for Alex Petrangelo and what that's ultimately going to look like. And now that becomes even more complicated with the potential of the salary cap either staying flat or really we don't know about that right now. I'm curious from what you've heard, what what is this going to affect? How what if, What impact is it going to have? on the salary cap and have you heard any potential discussions about whether it be a one-time buyout or a one-time exempt player against the cap is there anything going on with that as potential discussions as well for next year well i i, I would guarantee that there have been those conversations you know maybe internally within the players association and internally within the nhl they haven't gotten to the heavy lifting yet of a, a collective bargaining agreement extension and, and many of us believe that that'll be the end result of all of this because the NHL and the Players Association really have partnered well in dealing with COVID-19. But everything that you've just said 
we're all wondering about, including the players, Alex Petrangelo, uh, Tyson Berry, Taylor Hall, go down the list. I mean, if you're a pending free agent, be it an unrestricted or restricted, you've got some pretty big financial concerns and questions. I believe that the salary cap is going to be flat. It'll be, you know, 81 plus million dollars. That will be an agreed upon number between the NHL and the NHLPA because we know that the salary cap is always tied to revenues and the revenue loss is mammoth. We know this as well. But there's going to have to be an agreement on that cap. You can't expect St. Louis or any cap team to, to lop off 10, 15, 20, 25 million or more from their cap. I mean, players would be just kicked out or, you know, to your point, you, you'd have to have uh, a buyout window that would be significant. And I, I just don't see that as being a healthy environment for either the players or the owners. And then furthermore, you know, you've got the issue of escrow. And, and not to, to bore our listeners with all the minutia of, of how escrow works, but escrow essentially does make the 50-50 salary cap system whole. Well, to do that, coming out of, again, extraordinary times, you know, if, if the burden is on the back of the player, it's going to be 30 35% escrow. Well, that's, that's not fair. That's not going to happen. So they're going to have to negotiate a formula. And this will be a multi-year strategy whereby the players know what their percentage is for two, three, maybe four, maybe even five years for the next five years to make it a more affordable, palatable option. So all of that, including unrestricted free agency, is up in the air. It feels like there could be a correction, maybe in the term that's handed out, obviously in the dollars that is handed out. But when you're talking about a player like Alex Petrangelo, I mean, come on, you're talking about cream of the crop type of guys. And the owners, the, the general managers, everyone involved with the association is always going to want to do what's right by a player like that because he's so important to winning and such an important part of the community. All right, Drags, last one from me here today. And I asked this question of our buddies, Bob McKenzie, as well as Pierre Lebron. In this pandemic, in the quarantine times, I'm like, I like kicking back and having a nice glass of wine. I'm trying to become... Uh, better with my wine. So, you know, usually it was a twist off, even out of a box for, for Jamie Rivers, and that was just fine. But now I'm trying to pull myself up maybe a class or two. I had a couple of great suggestions from Bob and Pierre. Are you a wine guy? If so, what can you tell me about your favorite wine, and maybe should I pick it up? Well, look, man, I, I'm probably like you. I do enjoy wine, um, but I'm more of a middle-of-the-road guy. Uh, I'm not a snobby kind of, you know, big shot like Pierre Lebrun, who's got, you know, a Mario, he's got a Mario Lemieux, you know, collection in his home. Uh, I don't have any of that. But I can drift from one extreme to the other. Uh, I mean, there, there's no such thing as a bad bottle of Camus. There just isn't. But it's expensive. Yes, so it is. It, it's for special occasions. If you want a real good blend um, that isn't going to break the bank, go with Conundrum. I don't know if those guys mentioned that. Pierre brought uh, that one up, buddy. Did he? Yeah, well, he sure did. He, he was probably the guy that suggested it to me. Uh, but it's a, a real nice blend, and it's got a high-end taste to it. But, you know, in the U.S., you're probably picking that bottle up for 20 25 bucks. Oh, that fits right in the river's <laughs> budget. That's perfect. <laughs> Darren, we always appreciate him, man. He's a hockey insider for TSN. You can follow him on Twitter, at Darren Drager. Thanks so much for the time today. All the best to you and your family. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and you guys be well. Absolutely. That's Darren Traeger joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Speaking of the Blues run to the Cup, 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup. Every Thursday and Friday night, hear the replay of two classic games from the Blues 2019 run. You relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber. Thursday night, we've got Blues versus Sharks Game 3. That would be, of course, the hand-pass game. But Friday night, we've got Blues versus Sharks Game 4. Pre-game will start at 6, play-by-play at 7. It is Play Gloria. The St. Louis Blues run to the Cup, and it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Darren brought up an interesting point there, talking about how the players and the owners in the NHL are getting along well. They're doing well in the COVID situation. That's not the same situation in the MLB. There's some breaking news that I want to get to to talk about the public relations nightmare that could be headed for the MLB. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So I teased before the break, there's a little bit of breaking news in Major League Baseball. From Ken Rosenthal, about 40% of Marlins baseball operations employees are expected to be furloughed starting on June 1st. The total number of expected employees to be furloughed is between 90 and 100. The team is paying those employees through May. They expect to cover the health benefits of those furloughed through at least October, but they are evaluating that decision monthly. Ken Rosenthal adding that other clubs, in addition to the Marlins, are also expected to furlough significant numbers of employees effective on June 1st. The reason that I bring this up, Jamie, is because the PR battle has already begun in Major League Baseball. We've been hearing about all of these ideas, all of these plans for, what, months now? Mm -hmm. For a reason. They're getting leaked by somebody. It's to benefit somebody. There's no reason why they would do it otherwise unless they wanted to have a benefit for these leaks getting out there. And it's the owners. The owners have been playing this game perfectly. They have everybody on their side right now because right now, to the casual baseball fan, it appears Major League Baseball has a plan to return. All that the baseball players have to do is agree to take 50% of the revenue, which if I'm a casual baseball observer and think about nothing else, that makes sense to me. Of course, 50-50 split, owners get 50, you get 50, that makes sense. The owners have played this perfectly. Now I wonder when this starts to happen, and it looks like it's going to, when owners are starting to furlough 40% of their workforce while they're battling over these billions of dollars, does it start to change then? Or does this just go even further into the player side of things? Or then the casual fan is like, man, you got to get back to work because without you being in work, there's 40% of the workforce for the teams that are now being laid off. I don't know how ultimately that goes in the public sphere of things, but this is going to be something that ultimately plays into that battle as well. Yeah, look, this is a, it's going to be a weird situation. Uh, and you brought up uh, before going into the break that the NHL and the NHLPA have been doing a great job of working together. And, yeah, it seems like finally in the last handful of years they've figured out that it makes more sense to work together, um, which is great. It, it's positive, usually PR for the league. We don't have the battle back and forth. But then we go, we fast forward here right now to Major League Baseball. And this one here is a, a weird one because – Right away, my head, I go, the owners are going to feel the heat for this because they're battling here, trying to push the players on getting, you know, a rollback on their salaries, a 50-50 split. Whatever they're trying to do, they're pushing the players. And in the last couple of days, the public opinion has kind of been like, hey, come on, players, suck yep. it up, get back to work, yada, yada, whatever, right? 
I look at it the other way now, like you just said. I think that the players are going to feel some of the heat here. I do too. Because people are going to think to themselves, you're not going back to work over, you know, X amount of dollars. Well, 40 people, 45 people have lost their job on that one particular because you're team. Because you're, you're not willing to sign on that dotted line for 50% of the revenue. Exactly, right? So this is going to, this is, I'll tell you what, this is the exact discussion that at the end of a bar somewhere gets two old guys in a fight because one guy supports the owners yep. saying the players just need to get their butts back on the field and help these people get their jobs back. The other guy goes, hey, go blow smoke because what's going on here is your owners are trying to have their cake and eat it too by pushing and getting money back and, and lowering salaries. At the same time, no, they're firing or furloughing a bunch of people within their own company. Wait a minute, what's going on here? This is exactly why this could set up to be a really bad PR nightmare for Major League Baseball. Another reason that I feel the discussions need to be, even the strategies need to be quiet. You know, let's just talk about some of the fluff. I know we don't want to hear that, but man, oh man, both sides stand to lose a lot of, I guess, positivity out of the public eye. No matter what side you pick on this, somebody has a negative thought about one side or the other. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show at any point in time. From the 636, sorry, but owners can go bankrupt if the game doesn't return. Players are just losing a little bit of money. To me, the players are being selfish here. I think there's a lot of people that agree with that point of view. It doesn't mean that it's right. Doesn't mean that I personally agree with it, but I think there's going to be a lot of the national audience, the local audience here in St. Louis that looks at this very simply as saying, if you're a player and you get 50% of the revenues this year, that makes sense to me. And also, if you're a player and you're seeing that now, starting with the Marlins, and it sounds like, according to Ken Rosenthal, it will be effective elsewhere as well, 90 to 100 employees within that specific team will be furloughed. And if you've got 30 Major League Baseball teams, we're talking about 3,000 people that could potentially be furloughed if all of them ultimately go this route. If you're looking at all of this in the news and then you're also seeing on a sidebar with ESPN where they're saying, hey, players aren't too happy about this 50% revenue split, that's where it gets ugly for the players. The owners have done this perfectly. In terms of the public relations nightmare that this could have been, so far. they've played it perfectly. You're right. It's so far it could change down the road. Players are trying to spin it now and say, no, 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 no. It's not about the money. It's about the health and safety. Mm -hmm. That's our number one thing that we're worried about. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think that the people at home right now that are having to go to their day jobs 9 to 5 and they're working in Walgreens or they're working in a restaurant that's about to reopen or they're working a job that they would want nothing more than to be able to go into work, but they're also furloughed right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think these people are going to be saying to themselves, oh, yeah, it's going to be rough for you to go out there and play baseball with that health and safety. I feel terrible for you. I don't think this is going to work for him. It, 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 it's not my personal opinion, but I think that this is a losing battle for players right now. So what's interesting about this is, in my opinion only, okay, I'm not going to drag you guys into this and feel the heat like I'm probably going to take for this one. Oh, boy. But baseball has lost a lot of its luster in the last couple of years. People are straying away from watching the game. Sometimes they complain that the games are too long, they're too slow, it's too many games. All of these things, and I'm not talking about your 
baseball traditionalist that for 40 years has been watching the games. I'm talking about your... People my age. Yeah, your 19 to 30-year-old person is like, I just got... My life is too fast-paced. I can't do this, right? So now throw in the mix that maybe one of those people loses their job or one of these people, their father, their mother, their brother, sister, uncle, loses their job because of this. Guess what? It's and the text line brings it up here too. Two one seven says millionaires arguing with billionaires, and it's affecting middle class people. So baseball has a really big job here to do to continue to sell the game and improve the game. But how are they going to do that when they can't even get on the same page about how to get back to playing? And then middle class people are losing their jobs. Because billionaires and millionaires are fighting over a penny or two, right? Like, and I'm not saying it's not my money. I'm not spending their money. I'm not saying, hey, owners, you're wrong. Players, you're wrong. I'm not saying that. Mine is more of a general thought here about everybody looking at this going, you guys are throwing a tantrum in the sandbox, both of you. And at the same time, my mom just lost her job that pays her 45 grand a year because you're yep. worried about a couple of percentage points. It's a terrible look. Nobody wins. Everybody loses, and that's the sad reality of where we are right now. The one thing that can fix it is baseball returning. The players and the owners getting on the same page, realizing that there's too much at stake for them to continue bickering over billions of dollars and just find something that can, they can come to on a common ground. I don't know what that is. I'm not paid to do that. I know that the people that are in charge of the MLBPA and Major League Baseball are paid to do exactly that. They're paid to make sure that these games happen. So figure out a way to make it happen. One way that it can happen is by playing games in not California, but rather in Arizona and Florida. There's a little bit of news on this as well. We'll get to that on the other side with Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So... We're not super close to sports returning, but we are getting closer. And when they return, you're going to have to have states open up their borders to the potential of playing sports within those states. California seems unlikely right now. L.A. County, we announced yesterday at the end of the show, Jamie, uh, they're unlikely to have any sports of any, any capacity until at least it sounds like September. So that's not happening. But the rest of the state, we're not sure about. Arizona confirmed yesterday they're opening things up this weekend. If you're a sport and you want to play in Arizona starting this weekend, you are good to go. So, for example, if you're the Phoenix Suns and you want to decide we're going to go ahead and start training, go down there, you're good to go. There's another state that just announced, this was literally moments ago, according to their governor, any pro sports team that wants to come down, they are opening things up. Any guesses from you guys which state this is? Wow, I'm going to way off the board and go with Florida. Ding, 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 wow. ding, Florida it is. Quote, what I would tell commissioners of leagues is, if you have a team in an area where they just won't let them operate, we will find a place for you here in the state of Florida. So Florida's governor is officially opening things up, not only to his pro sports teams, but anybody that wants to come yeah. down to the great state of Florida. Hey, let's just keep this this thing going. Let's invite half the country down to Florida because we're so darn sure of ourselves down here that... This is going to be great. We're going to get more people than we need in this area. 
and we're just going to have a lot of fun dealing with, uh, you know, trying to dodge COVID. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I would say it's probably a bad idea. But what, what I will also add is it does give you an option if you're Major League Baseball. Because where are your spring training sites oh, in yeah. Major League Baseball? Mm -hmm. It's Arizona and it's Florida. And so one of the hurdles that baseball had to clear was having those sites available if and when you have teams that are not able to return to their home cities. It's going to be tough to return to New York right now. The Dodgers, they're not going to be able to play this year, most likely, in my, my opinion, in L.A. So instead, take those teams down to Arizona or in Florida, give them their spring training sites, and that now becomes their home city up until the point when they're able to return to wherever they're from. Uh, I get the Florida thing because Florida's just a nightmare in general and people <laughs> thinking that they can do whatever they want in Florida. Like, I think people it's think... Florida man. Yeah, people, people think it's a, an immunity when you get into the state of Florida, but <laughs> if, if Arizona... <laughs> Is 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 comfortable opening and, and you know they've put out numbers saying that you know the, the it's been decreased it's been basically as normal as you can get. Nevada is very similar to that. It's we gotta be. Close. We talked to Gosher, Dave Gosher, the broadcaster for the Vegas Golden Knights, and he said there's really been not a whole lot going on in Vegas, and obviously they haven't opened up. But if you're going to do Arizona, I would imagine Nevada is going to be one of those places as well. Yeah, talking to uh, a couple of people from the Vegas area, Derek Stevens, he owns the D Casino. In Las Vegas, and he's opening up Circa Sports Lounge uh, in Vegas coming up here. They're they're opening back up. Vegas is starting to gently open back up. The, obviously, the revenue is just in that city. We're not even dealing with sports, just the overall yep, revenue right. is there. So to your point, Alex, I think Nevada is going to be in the mix as well. Um, maybe New Mexico? Yeah, maybe New Mexico. I don't know. I don't you think know. you need to. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Because if you've got these hubs where these teams already operate from, and they've got everything they need down there. The Cardinals, when they go down to Jupiter, have everything they need at that spring training site to yeah. be able to operate for three months over the course of the year. So they've got guys that are down there in the winter, in the fall, whenever they need to be, so that way they can continue training. So if I'm the Dodgers, instead of going to New Mexico or Nevada and to some place that I've never been to, I'm just going to go to my spring training site where I have some comfortability with it. Mm -hmm. I know I've got all the training tables I need. I've got the locker rooms that I need. I've got everything that I need right there. I'm just going to go ahead and get those done in those places instead of finding these new areas where I can operate. So this poses a different question for me, and I'm going to veer off of baseball for a second just because I, I want to revisit something that Darren Drager said yeah. in our conversation with, by the way, he was amazing. I love Drags. He's got such great... 101ESPN.com is where you find the podcast yeah, after the show. Exactly. He's, he does a great job. And he, he talked about Toronto and New York, right? As of right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs would be a playoff team. And they would have no access because unlike baseball, they don't have a spring training area down in Florida or Arizona so they're forced to be in Toronto, an area we already know. We've talked about the Canadian government saying, well, anybody who comes across into Canada, it's a 14-day quarantine. I don't care what your business is. This is the rule. So that poses a, a, a bigger question for hockey is what are they going to do? And I know that we've talked about the hub situation, and, and now it seems like they've gotten away from that because the players don't really want to be I'm not alienated, but taken away from their families or the opportunity to, to be with family. And so what are we going to do with that? Like baseball has Florida. Baseball has Arizona. Heck, Nevada, if we want New Mexico. We want to get crazy. Even though they don't have to, BK, if they want to, they can. Sure. Hockey doesn't have that option. So I'm wondering 
what will happen there? Will Toronto have to go to, like, North Dakota and make the, that rink theirs while they try and finish the season? I mean, it's just, it's interesting to see how the countries, the states, the provinces, what their motivations are, first of all, to get up and running and what they're able to do and who can they actually accommodate. Well, it's not just Toronto, too. And if we're speaking hockey, pretty much every Canadian team except yeah. Montreal is a playoff team. So you have all of these Canadian... And they're not that far out. Exactly. And if you're going to extend it to 24 games, you're going to have to bring all of these teams over. And that's the part where I brought up Arizona. Gotcha. And I get it with baseball because, yeah, you're going to go to Florida, you're going to go to Arizona where your training facilities are. But if we're talking basketball returning, if we're talking hockey returning, and we're talking baseball, you're going to need more hub cities. And I think if you can open up states that are close with vicinity of teams that feel like they're normal and safe, then you expand on that rather than just, well, we're going to go Florida, we're going to go, you know, Oregon, you can't go all over the place. I think you keep a close vicinity of where you feel like you're comfortable. I think the NBA is going to have two hub cities. If, if I had to project here what I think will ultimately happen, and I'm going to be Nostradamus over here. I think the oh NBA is going to have two cities. I think it's going to be Orlando and it's going to be Las Vegas, Agreed. just like it is for the Summer League. And you're going to have ultimately the winner of those two playoff scenarios. You'd have the Eastern Conference probably in Orlando, Western Conference in Vegas. The winner of those two ultimately meet in the finals in one of those two sites. I think for Major League Baseball, we are going to see the host cities as often as possible. So the Cardinals be here in St. Louis. However, that's not possible. They will be in their spring training sites. The NHL, I think, is the most interesting because you've seen the most ideas floated out there. Are they going to be in their host cities if possible? Are they going to have hub cities where six different teams are in four different markets? That's the one I'm not sure about, but I would probably say in the end, I think we're most likely going to get the six different hubs, four teams or four hubs with six teams. Yeah, we got a, a question in from the text line saying NHL will go to their AHL affiliates. Well, that's not the case yeah. because... Toronto, Montreal, a bunch of them are located, their minor league teams are located in Canada, and a lot of them are located up in the Northeast area in New York State. We have Syracuse there. There are a lot of things that you're not going to be able to do. And you have to have a rink that can accommodate, and some of the HL rinks can't do that. Well, if we don't have fans, I think that they can make it work. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, it's not ideal. But yeah, the the automatic AHL affiliate city that yeah. that's just not going to work. The big news here, of course, Arizona, Florida, both announcing that they're going to be willing to let pro sports resume in their uh, in their states right now. So it looks like for Major League Baseball specifically, if they need to open up these spring training sites, that will be allowed for the time being. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We will cross things over with the fast lane next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the fast lane. Brad Thompson back in studio, ladies and gentlemen. I see that since I left, this microphone still doesn't work, huh? Gotta yeah. chase this thing around. Well, you don't. It's a little limp. You don't play with it the right way. What do you mean? Nothing. No, you're, Just, I think you're. Are you right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting Jamie's excited by your practice. <laughs> we got to tighten the screws around here. You can fix the Fetzer valve and get some of that muck and gook off the windows. That's what she said. Yes. That's about right. Exactly. The fits her valve. All right. <laughs> All right, BT, I got a question for you. All and right. uh, my buddy, BK, you're oh, loosely, buddy. But anyways, my buddy, BK here. Contractually. Contractually. Yeah, I got to say this. But He was told on a Friday that he had to be work by Monday, and I was going to be next to him. Yeah, That's pretty much no, how No, they didn't even tell me that I showed up and you were in the booth. I'm like, whoa, wait, what? 
And they're like, gotcha. Happens. Yeah, it does. Uh, so now back to you. In there. Michael Jordan, okay? We could beat the heck out of this Last Dance documentary, and some of the things are fantastic. We're finding out good things. I think it's been pretty real as far as the information. Now, the big debate we had yesterday, and I think it got confused a little bit, making it sound like I thought he was going to be like a Major League Baseball phenomenon, okay? I didn't say that. What reverse, I said... Reverse, reverse, No, 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 no. What I said was... backpedaling hockey? I didn't know. Ba- that's called skating, skating backwards. backwards. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to do it sometimes. On now, your heels. That's how you play. Terry Francona, okay? <laughs> Terry Francona, who's a reputable baseball guy. Yeah. Would you can would you Oh for sure he's okay. one, I, I think he's one of the best managers out there. And Michael Jordan's best friend. Go on. Okay, all right. So based upon what Terry Francona said, who may or may not be Jordan's good friend, yeah, we're not sure. Yeah. Uh he said with fifteen hundred at bats that Michael Jordan could play in the majors. Now, I don't think he meant a regular, but okay. that he could probably get to the point where he can at least get a call-up, a cup of coffee, a couple yeah. of games. And I'm not saying just because he's Michael Jordan, but based upon maybe his performance. Um, is that way out there? Th- that he could make it to the big league? Yeah, just get a shot. No, it's not way out there because he was Michael Jordan. Okay, but I told you don't, don't oh, count I'm sorry. that. Don't don't count that. You, you got to pretend oh. it's Michael... So- Jackson. My, hmm. <laughs> He'd make it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Bad one, I, uh, I feel like you might have some off-field questions. Yeah. Oh, boy. Is his age a factor, too, because he's up there a little bit? He's a, a slap-hitting right-hander who can maybe catch a ball, doesn't hit so well. And apparently and has no arm. He can run a little bit, though. Can, can I tell but you? He had 50 I, RBIs. I, a double-A ball. That's not, like, just a gimme. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, no, it's good. That, that really hitting two hundred in double A and driving in fifty—that's a big deal. That, that's great. But just watching him, you're like, mm, that ain't, ain't gonna happen. Like you just don't move like a baseball player moves. I, I wasn't being rude a second ago as I was scrolling through my phone. Maybe I was, but I didn't mean to be. Uh, but I wanted to get to a text that I received a couple of days ago during the show, and it was from from a scout. And this scout was scouting at the time MJ was playing baseball. Says, saw MJ, ran okay, could catch a fly ball, better defensively than expected, but couldn't hit in the minor leagues and the fall league, couldn't hit, period, is what it said. Okay. But uh, who knows? Three times those at-bats. Now, is that scout still employed, though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, bigger just job even now. I yeah, just yeah. want to see how reputable. Yes. You know? <laughs> well, it's actually lost his job the, the right. next okay. day. Good uh, point. Good so, point. The, but... Uh, I, I believe this. MJ was incredibly coachable, and that is something you've heard about every step along the way. He wants to be the greatest, and, and there's no doubt in my mind, guys, that he'd be better than he was, and, and he'd continue to get better. That being said, he didn't play baseball from the time that he was mm-hmm. 12 years old. Was he going to be able to make up that ground in between? I don't think so. Just because something is your first love, and baseball was his first love, doesn't mean it's all going to work out for you. You know, I think he would have gotten shredded. By AAA and Major League Pitching. He couldn't hit off speed. Like, they showed yeah, that in wouldn't he have been able to work on that? Because here's, here's where my head goes. No, just Did you watch the Cardinals last year? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Tyler O'Neill, Michael <laughs> Jordan, Harrison Bader, Michael Jordan. Like, like just, these guys, are, they, they don't have basketball to lean, lean on. They don't okay. have billion they have the tools. Companies. Like, it's there for them. You I'm going to power through this. Ribs. Okay, uh, I'm going to through this. I'm going to ignore you three buffoons here okay. for a second. Ferrario was with you. Was he? No, I said you've been shut. Oh, yesterday, but you were shut down on the off-speed as soon as he said Cardinals. All right, whatever. Okay, so now, 
Michael Jordan, better, by the who way. is one of the hardest working athletes ever, and his his desire to be the best is also probably one of his biggest problems at the same time, because BK doesn't think anybody should compete hard in practice. But that being said... I'm fine with punching my, your teammates. My, thank you. Yeah. I actually uh, feel better. Time out real quick. I might punch my teammate today. <laughs> I, I felt better about the Steve Kerr altercation whenever we actually heard the real story about Steve Kerr being the one that kind of started the whole thing. I got no issue with that. If Steve Kerr is getting into you, yeah, punch him in the face. All means. Go All ahead. All right. That's good. good. I, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Thank you, now, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Steve. Now, that being said, in hockey and in, in, in football and every other sport, if you're deficient in an area of your game and you're a superior athlete, you can usually make up some ground. I'm not talking foot-long steps. I'm talking inches yeah. of improving your game. With the time, with the proper time allotted, with Jordan working as hard as he does, do you think he could have gotten to the point of getting better at off-speed or breaking ball pitches. Yes, but I don't think that it would be near what you have his peers doing and, and working the same, maybe not even working the same way, but working incrementally to get better who are younger that inherently have the skill set that he did. Um, I think he'd have made it to the big leagues. I think it would have been because he's Michael Jordan mm -hmm. and he'd have been out after a cup of coffee. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'm not, but uh, I could be when it came to MJ. I just don't see them building a statue of him outside of uh, whatever that field is called. Is it U.S. Cellular now? Uh, the White Sox? Yeah, 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 yeah I'm yeah. not sure. I think that's They're the stepchild for sure yeah. when it comes to baseball. They might not be soon. And by the way, I, I'm really excited, guys, uh, about the potential like new league that the Cardinals would be playing in because I want to see the White Sox. Uh, yeah. I want to see the I was going to ask you about the that. Royals, right? The, the yeah, realignment yeah. of like <laughs> Major there. League Central is They're basically there. what you'd call it, right? Yeah. They're At least 40% of your game's against those guys. Yeah. So I think there's something to that. The Indians, you get to see your future sh uh, shortstop in Francisco Lindor. Oh, so let's hope. get to tickle that a little bit. Quick question on that for you. Do you yes. think it's more likely that the Cardinals would go after a guy like Lindor now than a guy like Arenado? Because Lindor has the contract that's coming up that could ultimately be a lower pay payday than he was expected because of all of this, whereas Arenado has that $30 million a year contract. I think that's a, a, a really good question. I, I do think that if they're going to pick one, one, Lindor's still going to get paid. He's still going to make a ton of money, I think, in my opinion. I think that you go after the one that you know exactly what he's making and what you're in for. Um, but he's certainly not opting out now. No, 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 no. Uh, if I had to pick one of those two players, though, that I wanted on my team, and you can't pick a wrong answer, I'm picking Lindor. Really? I'm picking the short dude's special. Huh. Yeah. So then what do you do? And shift to Young to third? Is that yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you got a DH, uh, which is going to make me throw up in my mouth, but I'll, I'll watch it. And then you got Carpenter there for this year and next year. And uh, <laughs> you got options, you know. Always pick the shortstop, though. If you got an opportunity to pick the shortstop, take the shortstop. This is right. Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK. What's coming up next, BT? Well, real quick, I had a question about your guys' uh, logo, the Ribs okay. and BK logo. Why is BK so big? It's, like, enormous. It's, like, a huge... Ribs came first, so I got the logo. Yeah. Is that what happened? Well, yeah. no, I wasn't in on that email either. All of a sudden, I was presented with like four options, and every one of the options, the BK got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So honest, I had to pick the, the least show. of all evils. Okay, yeah, because when I read it, when I see it, it's like, oh, ribs and BK. Yeah. Which is kind of it's like, like stank on. Yeah. Former St. Louis Blue Jamie Rivers and guy that's been here for a little while, BK. And so you got to have the BK. BK be the big one. Okay. Yeah. We'll Absolutely. let him have the star one. of the show. The only big one he has. Okay, great. Oh, nice. Thank you. That's ribs nice. and BK. <laughs> Oh, that's what she said. That is what she said. Going up in the fast lane, there is a race. The race is to be first. Who's going to win? NBA? 
NHL, MLB. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.